the Ursa's claws. Hello, welcome to episode 137 of the Age of Darkness podcast. As usual, don't forget to like us on Facebook, subscribe to us on iTunes, follow us on SoundCloud, and if you uh, want a shirt, check us out on Big Cartel. We are on Big Cartel. Darren, what do you have for us in this episode for the Strategium? Um, militia, what a change! Because it's not like we haven't been talking about that for a while, is it? Um, we are. Remember still when we said that we were going to do it in what we were going to try to do in one episode? <laughs> yeah, lies. <laughs> Lies. <laughs> but next, we're, we are moving on to the next stage. Now, what we're going to focus on tonight of the backbone of the Great Crusade uh, are the elites. And let's be honest, when we talk about the elites in the Imperial Militia, we know we're actually talking about the people who know the dangerous end of the last gun. And we're talking about the fast attack, including the much vaunted Tauntaun Riders. I mean, they're the most important thing. And Thunderbolts. Have you have you started working on your Tauntaun Riders? No. Well, there's, there's what are you waiting for? I'm, I'm, because I've got other projects to working on. <laughs> They're in the pipeline. They're in the long-term plan. Weak. After Militia, in Tales of Heresy, uh, our Tale of Heresy will be the first part of the last book of the series. Barry Dagger, right? Is <laughs> Barry Dagger, I can't. Yep. It is Barry Dagger. We got it. We got it on the first Okay, we got it on the first Oh my god, I almost said Hidden Dagger again. Barry Dagger. Uh, This is the last book of the series, the last book we have to review. After this, we will have done them all, and it only will have taken eight years. And we are delighted to have as a special guest our resident chemical weapons expert, uh, David Carlin. It's certainly fitting with the Hammer Horror theme we've got going for that one, isn't it? Yep. But let's get back to that. We'll come back to that. <laughs> it is the like the best part of the book. Anyways, um, so that's Tales of Heresy. Uh, and but before we jump into the strategium, um, a couple things dropped. Uh, I obviously everybody knows don't come to us for news because the episodes come out mad late, but even if it's mad late, some really fun stuff uh, that got previewed at Nova. Yeah, I mean it's stuff. Well, one was a complete surprise. Let, let's let's start there. One was a complete surprise, one was one uh, a kit we knew was coming. Uh, so that's the new Plastic Mark III. Slightly controversial. Slightly controversial. Really just controversy? Really? No. Yeah. Not the heresy community. No. I know. But who would have thought? We're normally so chilled and laid back and easygoing. Yeah. Um, it's, yeah, there's some interesting things. Personally, I quite like the, the sculpts. So the big controversy, and I'm sure if you're listening to this, you're perfectly aware, but some of you may not be. Um, firstly, the leg plates at the back. I uh, have caused a lot of controversy and there's a lot of discussion online because they're not the overlapping ridge plates that we're used to from the original resin or the um, Burning of Prospero Mark III plates. They're much, they're instead sculpted like the Fafnir Rand. So you still got segmented armour, but they're not overlapping. Interestingly, however, interestingly, a lot of people with far more time and effort than I would be prepared to put in, have looked back at a lot of early artwork from Visions of Heresy, going back to the John Blanche art, and apparently that's way Mark III was originally drawn. With really? Segmented armor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the Fafnir Rand style, I'll refer to that because it's easier, where it's just um, banded plates as opposed to overlapping segmented armor, um, 
is more like the original artwork. And then so apparently the Forge World resin was a retcon of the original, which has been retconned back. There we go. Generally what speaking, controversy? Yeah, uh, controversy. And the other slight controversy as well is if you look carefully at the sculpts, they've clearly built on the same dollies as the Mark VI because the poses are identical, probably to make sure the special weapon boxes and the heavy weapon boxes all fit with those poses is what I would imagine. But overall, I mean, they're quite nice. They're going to be slightly upscaled, aren't they? Because it's for, it's for new thing to upscale things. It's nice to have um, something the same scale as a Mark VI, although, you know, scale. We've talked about scale a lot on these kind of things. Some people are naturally taller than others. Miles is a giant, for example, he is. So, you know, there's that. I, I personally don't mind. The new box set looks quite interesting. The, the, the battle box, I think they're referring to it, which has got some Mark III, Land Raider Proteus, uh, and a Derrideo, new plastic Derrideo. That's a great it, kit. It's also going to be yeah. so much easier to Mad Cat. Yes, yes it is. Especially now we've got the slightly upscaled Sentinel kits as well from the Cadian range. So that, that will make things slightly easier to deal with. Um, no design difference. However, it's a picky thing. But, you know, why are we here unless we're going to be picky? This was the perfect opportunity to bring in the long-lost missing Atomantic Preveys. And we still haven't got it. Really? Yeah. Oh, you didn't get it. No, I thought you were no, saying we were going to get we were actually going to get it. No, no, this this was a great. It looked awful through. though. Like, just let's be honest. I liked the Atomantic. No, Preveys. it was this the little cut they did. Oh, I, I, I did not like it. I thought it looked kind of silly. Well, horses for courses, isn't it? But there we go. So that that's the new kind of battle box which is coming out. Looks fairly different. It's not a starting army because there's no HQs. But oh, it's really? Certainly a nice kit. Yeah, there's no HQ, but it's certainly a nice thing to bolt on. The fact you've also got the sprue of heavy weapon and the sprue of special yeah, right. weapons in there means you can, you know, that that's a nice bolt on to your Age of Darkness box. Oh man, they couldn't have thrown in a Praetor in there. Yeah, they're ten a penny though, aren't they? I mean, think about it though. Yeah, but... If you've got your Age of Darkness box set and then you buy the Mark III box set, there you go. That, that's a fairly chunky army because that gives you a Spartan, yep. Land Raider Proteus, two Dreadnoughts. You've got your Praetors in there as well. So, you know, it, that's a that's a decent package all told. It's a lovely um, and then it, it, It's a good box. It's got a lot of stuff in there. I like it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, Do I we know think the price point's going to be, though. That's that's the big one. Well, this is it. I'm obviously, it's not for pre-order yet, so we don't know the price. And I would imagine it's going to be fairly competitive. Normally, when they do something like that, it you get something in the box for free. I would imagine probably the Derrideo's free. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, that that's what I reckon it will end up being. Um, and then the other reveal, which was one to really pour salt into the open wind for 40k community, uh, was the resin fulgrim, and not just any fulgrim, but Demon Prince Fulgrim. And there was a little note attached to the article as well saying, no, he will not be getting rules for 40k. <laughs> wow. So it was, yeah, that, that, that was cold from GW. We're not used to such coldness from them normally. Uh, but yeah, so that, that was quite controversial. Oh, yeah. It's, expecting... it, 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 it's in one of their little asterisks that they like putting at the end of articles. Yeah. Let's rip the plaster off now. 
no, this model won't be getting rules for Warhammer 40,000. Ooh, that's going to be, there's going to be some anger in there. Yeah, especially as lots of people have been expecting plastic fulgrim now for quite some time because there's been a lot of references to him in the recent books for 40k and it's the last of the non-cult or the last of the cult chaos marines to not have a problem we've got angron earlier this year for instance so lots of people are expecting him but the fact we've got now this resin one i think that puts a plastic fulgrim two or three years down the line i don't i don't think he's gonna be around anytime soon could this mean Um, though that they're I, I rather like this because it could indicate that we might get a a demon Angron for 30k that looks very different than the 40k version. We could add because how could there not be 10,000 years of changes? It's chaos. It's not. It's the. It would be the opposite of chaos if nothing had changed in 10,000 years. Yes. Yeah. So, what do you think of the sculpt? What do you think of ah? It's yeah, gorgeous. Like, what's what's not to like about it? Transportation. It's not. It's what's not to oh, like about it. Transportation. That's a that, yeah, I mean, that's an amateur complaint. Just get a new battle foam case just for that, and do not check the, that case. Look at all the sensitive little bits that kick off. Are you telling me you would transport that model to scan? No, never. <laughs> <laughs> never. There you go. There you go. No, I, 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 okay, I'll tell you what I would do if I was playing Empress Children. I wanted this thing, and if I was playing em- Empress Children, I would want this thing. Uh, definitely the the wings are magnetized. Uh, the yeah. um, the arms are magnetized. <laughs> I would magnetize the hell out of this uh, so that it comes apart. Because uh, you're right, this is not gonna. Yeah, it's not gonna transport well. No, but the actual sculpt itself is gorgeous. It, it exactly. really is. The, the the sculpting on the face, the details on the body, and the weapons. Um, if you look carefully, if you look really carefully, and particularly the face, there's a lot of similarity to Sanguinius. I, I would imagine this is Sam who's done this, and he's been quite clever to print in lots of similarities with Sanguinius, particularly things like the pose of a spear as well. So keeping that familial connections between the Primarchs that we've seen in previous mm. sculpts. But yeah, it, it's very good. I'm looking forward to seeing this in the hands of some very good painters we have in our community. Yeah, I imagine uh, Miles has a few of them already commissioned. Oh, I imagine so. Yeah, I imagine so. Yeah, great stuff. Great stuff. In all, though, the thing I'm most excited about is the uh, the updated uh, Mark Threes. I just hope that we get the Mark Plastic Mark Two soon. Yes, yeah, I, I think out of all the armor marks, we we really want Mark Two is one. I I would like to see Mark Five, but I think Mark Two is a pressing need. I know that sounds quite strong strong language. Into I think it's a more pressing need, and also. Uh, games workshop if they don't do mark five they can just say for the lore reason mark five is not actually an, a mark of armor yeah you could just kit bash bits together yeah it's it's ah. mark five is a general term for uh mix and match armor that became prevalent in the mid heresy period often with mo- molecular uh, molecular uh, bonding studs that's why there's so many molecular <laughs> molecular i'm having trouble saying that word molecular uh, bonding studs uh in mark five because that's what you, that's what you use to bond See it all, all together. The, yeah, exactly. So that's it's why it's the Mad Max of armors. It's the Mad Max of armor. 
yeah, but obviously there should be a Mark V kit that would sell like gangbusters. They're all going to sell like gangbusters. Yeah, of course they are. People, people are always going to order, but I do think Mark II is the one that people are desperate to see. Well, hopefully Especially one day. Got, yeah, I'm, oh, I'm sure we will. I, Come on, I reveal that Epcon. Let's do this. Yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we get a new armor mark each year for the next couple of years. And then they come out in a new box set. I, I think I've pretty much said that. But you know, I, I will tell you the, the one mark of our, uh, the one mark of armor we will never ever get ever. Mark one. No. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Mark Mark one, but Mark one also isn't a space marine <laughs> armor mark, so that one's going to get a pass for me. But there will never be Mark eight uh, errant. Oh, I I like the Mark eight. Everybody likes the Mark high. eight. But there's never going to be a Mark VIII kit because um, uh, that's a later uh, development than the Heresy. And pretty much very soon, uh, in, in 40K, it's just going to be Primaris left. And they don't use, they use Primaris armor. They yes. use like Mark IX, right? Or something like that? Well, uh, Mark X. They, for some Mark reason, 10? they skipped Mark IX. Why did they skip Mark IX? Yeah. I don't ask me. I'm not designer but yeah it, it's very much a case of first board and being taken around the back of the shed with a shotgun yeah exactly so it's never going to be uh and i like market i like the, uh, the 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 high collar i thought it looked uh it looked yes. heavy well absolutely because normally that the collar seals around power armor is an absolute bullet magnet yep so they they learn to mark out oh we can put a high ridge around it and protect that oh that makes sense anyways okay. There, anyway, there we go. Talking of armor, or rather lack of it, should we talk about the uh, the true heroes of the heresy? Yeah, let's move into the strategium and discuss the militia. And don't forget, power armor is for posers. Welcome to the strategium. So we're back onto militia, aren't we? Um, this has been a long haul. We've been not milking this, but we've been certainly enjoying going through these heroes of the Imperium, the backbone of the, em the Emperor's Great Crusade and what brought the world into compliance. So what we're going to be working on tonight is we have a few sections left. We've got the elites, we've got the fast attack, and we've also got the heavy supports. Um, not that you get as much heavy support as you used to with this. We'll, we'll come on to that when we talk about the Lehman Rust Squadrons. But we're going to try and get through as much of this as we can. We're certainly going to hopefully get through at least the elites and the fast attack because Tauntaun Riders are back in. With Yes, we get to talk about them tonight. So, JP, we've done the troops. We've done our characters and the HQs. Elites is a bit of a um, misnomer with the militia, isn't it? <laughs> it, just, it is a contradiction in terms. Elite yeah. militia does not work. No. Let's let's just say uh, specialists. That's yeah. That's the best way to look at them, isn't it? That yes, the elites are your specialists. They've they've had a bit more special training. They've had an extra day in the training. Beyond <laughs> <in> this <laughs> one, <laughs> <laughs> they actually showed you how the gun works before putting you into combat. Yeah. <laughs> like this is the dangerous end. <laughs> Uh, so, Brilliant. Uh, so let's go through these. There's only uh, three options here, right? And of course, the one that doesn't fit, but like that's never changed and will never change. No, no. You know what I'm talking right, about. Well, let's, um, let's, let's start off. 
with the uh, the Medicaid attachment. Um, yes, they do have Medicaid. I, I don't know actually know how often you're going to see these, but it's quite nice because they do run very similar to the apothecaries and the medics that you get in other armies. Um, but what's nice is you actually start off with three for 40 points. So it's actually quite cheap. You know, you know. Let's bear, let's bear in mind the Medicaid here are not expensive, but there are reasons why. They've got a real typical human stat line. You get three, as we already mentioned, to start off with, but you can include up to nine additional Medicaid as part of this slot, so that you could have up to twelve in total. They all come with a las pistol or auto pistol. They all get a knife. They all get the auto medicus and flak armor. God bless the flak. Um, and they have a rule: militia Medicaid support. And what this does is it's same as an apothecary. At the beginning of the game, when you're deploying, you set up a Medicaid model in any units that have the infantry unit type and the militia subunit subtype. So they have to be infantry. You cannot put these in Rough Riders, unfortunately. There is one exception that if you have the Ogre Conscripts provenance you can attach a militia medicate into your ogrins and i would probably strongly recommend that you do because they're going to get one of the best benefits from this usual rules also apply you can't um if you shoot the medicate out with a sniper rifle which is likely going to happen quite quickly i would imagine that you don't get victory points for that um and if you're able to bring a unit back such as through um one of the provenance rules that we looked at a couple of episodes ago, you don't get to bring back the Medicaid, you only bring back the core unit itself. So what does a Medicaid actually do? Well, if you have a unit with a Medicaid in it, steady for this, you, you need to hold on, you get a feel no pain. Now we know feel no pain is really quite useful and it's a feel no pain six plus. Now, to be fair, with the amount of casualties you're probably going to take as militia, you're going to make some of those six plus rolls. However, however, feel no pain doesn't work against instant death wounds. So as soon as you're hit with any strength six weapon, you're not going to get your feel no pain. But if they're in an ogrin unit, you're going to be getting that feel no pain all the time because ogrins mm -hmm. have that toughness of five so you need to have a strength 10 or more weapon to prevent an ogre and getting this feel no pain but you only get that with the ogre conscripts so jp thoughts on medicaid do you think there's a mistake here because on the one hand in the first special rule militia medicaid support it said that only infantry units and militia unit subtype uh get can be assigned a medicaid and under Automedicus, it says all models with the infantry or cavalry unit types in a unit that includes at least one model uh, with with the, the the war gear can benefit from it. I I, I think this is an oversight. I, I I I think you can assign it to a cavalry model. Yeah, I I think it could be one of two things. I think it's either an oversight, or if you've got a character on a. Uh, mounted character because it doesn't have to be on a horse uh if you've got a mounted cavalry with a cavalry, cavalry unit type could they join the unit i don't think you can mix unit types so i don't think that's possible yeah. anyway. but yeah I, it would be a shame I, I mean it makes logical sense why cavalry couldn't take a medicaid because you can't imagine a apothecary <laughs> patching someone up mid cavalry charge why not but, 
like leading out the saddle, patting them up as they go. Yeah, don't worry. Put on a field dressing. It's only only a heavy bolt around. If you can fire your rifle from a horse, you can apply a field dressing. I'm not convinced the two are compatible, but there we go. <laughs> there we go. It just seems no, contradictory. I agree. I think yeah, yeah, it, it, it does seem contradictory. I'll get to you on one. But that that's what the militia Medicaid are. Um, I don't think you're going to see many of them, to be honest. I think there's too many strength six weapons and above no, that are going to ignore I disagree. them. But I disagree. I disagree. Auto, you, auto include. Auto include. Uh, okay. Remember, uh, if, you, if your 20-man squad takes 10 casualties, takes 11 casualties... Uh, they cannot regroup anymore. Every casualty that you can mitigate uh, will make those units uh, stay on uh, the battlefield a little bit longer. Um, it's not expensive. You're, we're talking about 12 points per squad. You can easily fit that considering how cheap everything is. I would put them some in every squad. And you know what? It's going to win you a game from here and then. Uh, here and there. Okay, yeah. It, it may be that one time you meant that six plus roll to keep them on an objective. I, I, I think that it might happen every game. Seriously, I think it might happen every game. The reality oh. is like one out of six. One out of six is we're not talking about like one out of ten here. One out of six, this might win you the game, and it's not a lot of points. I would put that in every single infantry squad, especially considering it is not competing with a lot of other options and elites. That's a good point because, like we said, there are not that many elites to look at. Are there? there there's what one? So yeah, two, auto include. I, I would three. take it every time. Why not? So there's there's actually only three elite units. So it, you like you say, what else are you going to put your units in apart from heavy support? Anyway, let's move on to the next one. Do you want to take the next ones? Because the next ones are real fun. Yeah, this is my big disappointment. Not so much. What for? What it is? Yeah, but for 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 the Lord, uh, this is one of those things that I think they they didn't nerf it. They didn't they didn't make the unit itself worse, but. They, they they removed kind of a narrative option that I thought was the coolest thing in the whole list. Let me explain in a moment. Go on. We're talking on. about we're talking about the Imperialist Militia Ogryn Brood Squad. Already it tells you something because they 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 named it with um an actual unit that you can purchase from Games Workshop. But they haven't changed that much. They they move faster now. They move seven, which is fantastic. They got your weapon skill of four, your ballistic skill of two, uh, strength and toughness of five. Three wounds each, which is always great. Uh, initiative two, um, attacks four each, and leadership of six, which is actually pretty good considering um, this list. Um, the Ogryn and boss be- has uh, an extra attack and extra leadership to seven, which is, again, yeah. pretty good for this list. Well, okay, let's put that into context. Leaderships of six and seven is com- close to what Adastartes has. That that's Soloxia levels of leadership, which yeah. when you look back at your normal your normal squads is you know as good. I mean, what does it represent? And they're stubborn. That that's another thing we need to recognize here. That's they right, are stubborn. Really we we'll on... Yeah. So you know you're always rolling that leadership. Anyway, carry on. So yeah, uh they're uh bulky four. Uh they have hammer of wrath two, which is really good. I like that. Um, they have a lot of options. Uh, they're 30 points each, right? So you start off with three. You can uh, go up to a unit of 10 for 30 points each, which isn't that much. You have to upgrade the uh, a single Augurin to the Augurin boss, so you don't have to do it. Um, Augurin boss can take a power weapon, Thunder Hammer, which is great, because that's going to give you yeah, strength and- 10 right there. That's fucking awesome. 
and it's striking at initiative because they're a monstrous creature. Oh, I didn't notice that. I like that. Yes. Yeah, because they're monstrous and also they are militia. <laughs> but don't forget, Ogryn militia are called out because they have a monstrous trait. They don't auto break if they go below half their lead, half their number. Why not? Yeah. Because it's in, in the militia traits rules, anything which is either a mechanized trait or a monstrous trait doesn't auto break oh, okay. under half. Oh, that's great. So they, they're going to be sticking around. They're stubborn. Well, good. They that's don't auto break. And they're monstrous. So that thunder hammer, which you can give to your boss, is striking initiative two, which means in a challenge, he is striking <laughs> before your average marine sergeant with a power fist. He's striking before a Praetor with a Thunderhammer. Yeah. And we know how strength. people love Thunderhammers these days. Yeah. At strength 10. Let's go four. Like, so yeah. you're going to be hitting that Praetor. You guys still need a five, right? It's with five attacks. And you only need one to squish him. <laughs> Damn, that's really good. It's not a lot of... <laughs> It's not that's really true. That's, lots of points. That's it's going to be a 35 point upgrade to your militia squad. Yeah, that's pretty good. And the other thing, they, every they, time. They, can, they can also take heavy weapons. So the, the boss can take a heavy bolter, a heavy flamer, or an auto cannon because, you know, yeah. they're augurants. Yeah, and because they're monstrous, they can move and shoot them. Yeah. Oh, I really want to see a, the augurant boss with a heavy bolter just like one handing it. <laughs> yeah. Um, waving a club in the other hand they can take care of base armor which is awesome and that's going to be 25 points for the entire unit not by model so again your 10 your 10 men your 10 augrin squad can upgrade uh to four plus saves for 25 points great and any model can take an additional basic close combat weapon which i would probably do but you can also take a ripper gun a thunder stub and a boarding shield what do you think of these guys? Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Some uh, just more gear. I I like them. So your Ripper gun, I, uh, twelve inch range, strength five, assault five. Yeah. Now I recall didn't in second edition. Did they give you uh, Ripper guns? Did they give you three sustained fire dice? Uh, they did. They've always had a good set of weapons. Yeah. They've always had a good set of attacks on them. To be fair. They they always have, um, yeah. Ripper guns fun, isn't it? I mean, you yeah. you're going to put out a lot of attacks with them. The thunder stub is quite an interesting little gun. Uh, it's only six inch range, you know. There, but you want your ogrins close anyway. It is strength six and it is AP four, so potentially you could. It's a lot easier to get wounds on things like Astartes. You're not going to be automatically wounding them because of the AP, but you're going to be wounding them easily. It's pistol one. So, you know, that does give you that additional attack in close combat because they all come with a close combat weapon as well. What makes the Thunderstub stand out for me, though, is it's brutal two, concussive one. So for every hit you put off, for every wound you put onto a unit, they're having to make double the saves onto that model. So, you know, although it's only AP4, that Astartes is going to have to make two, three plus saves. And if they fail one, the weapon skill of that unit goes down by one if they fail a leadership check as well. So there's a lot of ifs and buts there. I get that. But the Thunderstub itself, 
I think having one or two in a unit, depending on the size of a unit, could be worthwhile, personally. What do you think of the boarding shield? Because it's the key thing you, about the boarding shield. give you invulnerable, which is great. Yeah, that, that's the key thing there, isn't it? You're losing an attack, but they end up with four attacks anyway. So, you know, that, that's a decent number of attacks. But, but I think the most important thing is the invulnerable. Because these guys are going to attract a lot of firepower, and it's only five points for that invulnerable save. Oh, they are still tough as five. So unless people are shooting last cannons at them, and if 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 they're shooting last cannons at them, then they did the job. They are, but you could also fire Volkite. Is Volkite going to cut them out? Well, it's not well. What Volkite is going to do is going to wound them on threes because it's strength six versus toughness five. It's going to ignore the basic saving throw because it's AP five, and then for every wound, you're causing an additional wound with deflagrate. Yeah, but I always take carapace armor. Why wouldn't you take carapace armor? Well, this is it. But then you're forced into up spend more points on that unit once again, aren't you? But in yes, absolutely. In that case, you you got that four plus save. So, but they could people could also be using things like auto cannons and get rending an AP four, heavy bolters are AP4 and Strength 5. So, you know, there are some mid-strength weapons that could be targeted in that unit. So for me, I think my Ogrins, or my Ogrins, would have Carapace and Board and Shield. But as we're going to talk about later, there are ways to get these much closer to the enemy line. I mean, they're moving movement 7 anyway. They're going to, they're going to be barreling forward. And they're yeah. not heavy, so you can run with these. And if they run, they, they run at... Um, a whole nine inches with their initiative of two. So, you know, they're not slow. They're not slow. So they're not going to be weathering a lot of um, attacks to start off with, potentially. Because no one's going to be able to return fire for a reaction against them because they're not going to likely to shoot. So they're only going to have to take Overwatch. But there is something you can do later to get these a bit closer to the enemy okay. line, isn't there? Well, so what we'll do you think? Okay, here's what I'm disappointed about. It's not the actual unit. I think they're fantastic. What disappoints me is that there used to be a text box underneath the Imperialist Militia uh, Ogryn, uh Brute Squad that used to say that this is just uh, this is a general term for any number of different things, right? That 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 could be represented by Ogrins. Uh, I, for example, do not run Ogrins. I want uh, I I run War Yetis. Uh, and now I can still do that, obviously. There's nothing stopping me, and no one's going to tell me that I can't. I don't imagine anybody telling me that I can't. So, um, the section that says Ogryn serving alongside rare evac-grown bio-servo constructs, H-grade servitors, and a range of similar heavy infantry to- troops. Well, never mind, then. <laughs> yes, apparently I don't know how to read. It's still there. Never mind. Let's move along. Fine. <gasps> yeah, but, that's a, that, but that is a good point. That is, um, it's that, less that, explicit. Obviously, I didn't read it, that bit. You're it's still you are there, correct. but it's less explicit. All right, that's my complaint. Moving on. I know how to read. So it is. It is less explicit. But what that also does mean, and let's and let's be clear about this: you can use a range of models for this. So you could be using Ambots. Already withdrew my complaint. Darren, I already withdrew my complaint. No, no, but we just talk about other models you could be using and there's quite a range of 40 mil models out there now isn't there you can do anything you want there's uh, uh, a dust has an option for like these like combat bears (gasps) oh 
you see combat those? pants? Yeah, like, no, I've not seen that, those. In, they have like uniforms. <laughs> they have pants, at least, I think, if I remember correctly. No, I uh, need to see these. Combat. You need to show me an image of these combat uh, bears. That could, that could go with my rebel army on the hearth with Tauntaun Riders. <laughs> Although I could be using Wampers for Ogrins. It's going to happen. Shall we move on? You're looking for an image now, aren't you? Yeah. Uh, Ursus Infantry. Hold on. Ursus Infantry with clubs. Here we go. The anticipation is building. I check this out. <gasps> oh, I yes, yes, I must have some of these. They've got massive ogrins, moles. That they're, they're that's ogrins, absolutely. Yes, right. We're going for those. Right, that, that's being added on. Thank you very much. There you go. Should I'm we move to on to the next? I'm unit? here to help you buy more things. <laughs> Well, to be fair, the number of times I've done this to you, it's about time you start to get that's into inventions. Yeah, things is, yeah, there we go. Okay, so they can right. be anything that you want. You can make anything that you want. Um, uh, I Again, it's less explicit now because I managed to skip it. But yeah, augurans can be anything you want. For me, it's war yetis. For Darren, it's, uh, <laughs> it's combat war bears. bears. <laughs> war bears. <laughs> Moving on to the next elite choice. The one that definitely doesn't belong in elite, but I know why it's there. It's obvious why it's there, but it should not be an elite. But it doesn't matter. Just give us more, uh, no. more choices. Yeah, it, it's basically... So the, the next the next selection are the Militia Field Gun Batteries. Now, these are the new Cadian and placed infantry models, aren't they? Let's put it I wonder why these turned up in the new Militia list. I wonder. So, I do get why they're here, though, because otherwise, if they were in heavy support, they're competing with Lehman Russ. Yeah, exactly. It's, it, it is the main reason why. That's why they're in here. And they certainly can't go into fast attack. Because these are in place. Now let's like, talk why, about why are quad uh, why are quad la- quad launchers or uh, sorry uh, uh, auxiliary launchers in 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 elite for for marine lists. Same reasons because the, there's too much other stuff in heavy sport. There's not enough heavy sport. There should be heavy, four heavy sport slots. That is my well, statement. Certainly from some armies, yeah, absolutely. So what are these then? So these, like we said, are the new Cadian and place guns. Their stat line isn't. That's amazing. Um, move four. Well, you can't move them anyway. So, well, you can move them, but I don't suggest doing that. Um, weapon skill, list skill three, strength three, only toughness four. Watch out for those uh, las cannons barreling in because they will double you out. Um, three wounds, three initiative, one attack. Don't if, if you're having to use your attack and your weapon skill, something has gone horribly wrong anyway. Um, Leadership seven. So they're actually some of the most disciplined troops in, the, in your entire army. And a save of five plus. You only get one for 45 points. And then each additional field gun, and you can have up to five additional field guns, are 40 points each. They are heavy. So you do get to reroll your five plus against blast and templates. You're going to be doing that a lot, aren't you? And you have bulky five. And they're in place. Now, the emplaced rule is the same as we saw for the heavy support teams in the troops choice. So you can only make return fire or overwatch reactions or the interceptor advance reaction. And if you're forced to fall back, every model in the unit is immediately removed as a casualty. They're basically to spike the guns and run. That's all they do. So there are three types of guns. You've got the Thunder Blast as your basic um, weapon. You've got the Calliope Mortar, which you can replace for free. And you've got the Heavy Laz Cannon. So should we have a look at those weapons, JP? Let's have a look at what they actually do, shall we? 
So the Thunder Blast Cannon, let's, let's have a look at that first of all. So this is basically your mini um, basilisk, isn't it? Yep. That's what it comes down to. 72 inch range. Okay. Strength seven. That's decent. AP four. But we know all blast weapons of the game have had a massive AP reduction. So that's mm-hmm. no shock. Oh, yeah. Heavy one. Nah. That's, that's average. A small blast template. They have got barrage and they have got pinning. Oh, look. Another militia weapon with pinning. What a change. That doesn't happen very often nowadays, does it? There's so much pinning in this army list. It's not a bad weapon. It's as a basic weapon, that's right. And because it's barrage, you can get it out of line of sight, although they are big based models. So bear in mind, it is going to be quite difficult to completely hide them out of line of sight. But as a basic weapon, I think that's pretty decent, to be honest. I don't think that's that bad. All right. Calliope Mortar. So it's a 48-inch range, strength 5, AP 5. So, you know, not average strength. AP is standard for most guns in the game. Heavy one, yeah. Large blast, so it's a 5-inch blast. That's unusual now to have a large blast hanging around. Once again, pinning. Once again, barrage. But this time you've got Shell Shock 1. So any pinning tests are minus one leadership. So I don't I I quite like the Calliope Mortar just because of the size of a blast template and the fact it's got the shell shock on the on the, the uh, pinning test as well. I don't I think that's that's not too bad a weapon. And it's a free upgrade. So between that and the Thunder Blast Cannon, you can either go for longer range and a slightly higher strength, but smaller blast template. Or shorter range, larger blast, and more consistent pinning. So it depends what you want it for. Then you have the heavy las cannon. Yeah, you do. Yeah, this is. I can already sense this is where you're going. Uh, range forty-eight, standard las cannon range. Strength ten, AP two, heavy one, and thunder. So thunder. when you do, when you do, fail that armor penetration roll. You get to re-roll it. Or that wound roll. Because you know you're going to roll a one to wound. Oh, yeah, you obviously. You're going to do it. But at <laughs> no, least now you get, oh, hurrah, I can re-roll. It's 20 points, which is expensive because that's like half the points of the actual uh, artillery piece. But it's that is really good. It that's is. a really good the, weapon. The, the challenge I've got with it is you're going to hit half the time because you're in a BS3. And you're opening yourself up to return fire if you're going to, depending on what you're targeting. I just feel that the other two weapons are kind of, aren't going to kill many Marines. I mean, at least this thing will, when it does hit, will probably at least cause hull points on the thing that it's shooting at or murder a Marine. Every kill you get with our heavy last cannon is a moral victory. That, that's where you need to look at it. And that's where you need to look at a lot of a militia list, isn't it? Is everything is a moral victory. Yeah, pretty much. Um, I, I do love the line of viewed with contempt by the lofty legion of Sestartes. <laughs> yeah, there we go. That sums up the list. Yeah. yeah. I, I think it depends what you want. This does supply a bit of extra anti-tank, doesn't it, with the heavy las cannon? I think that there is a feature in there. But I think there's a better option later on when we look at the rapiers. 
I agree. And more generally, okay, the huge advantage of this is that it's not going to take up one of your heavy sports slots. Yeah. Which is great. But also, these things are huge. The other thing I have to really look at with this list is do you have room to deploy everything? Well, yeah, because these are on something like 18 bases or something. They're they're on big, the base is bigger than the dreadnought base. And, you know, when you've already got a lot of infantry units to deploy, you are going to run out of space potentially quite quickly. So there is another factor in there as well. So that's all the elites done. Wow. Beauty. Lots less. Let's move on to fast attack. And let's start off with the true hero of transports. Do you want to go for it? So we have the Arvis, which, by the way, is coming oh. back. The kit will be available yes. again. I yes. don't Perfect. imagine it was the most popular kit the, to start off with. But yeah, this is just a um, it's a transport. Um, it has no weapons. Um, it transports stuff. It can which take is... 12 troops. <laughs> so, yeah, you could take your uh, Grenadier squad. You're not going to fit anything more in there. Um, you can't you, you could fit three Ogrens in there. No, you can't. Yeah, you can. They're bulky four. No, because it's got the special rule of infantry transport. So it has to oh, have the infantry. They yes. Uh, uh, it has got deep strike. However, one piece of good news is it is third line. So when it does get popped by a, an Astartes in close combat with a crack grenade, it's not going to give any victory points. It's move 20. Fairly fast. Yeah. Um, Ballistic skill three for its no weapons. Um, it's it's armor is 11, 11, 10. Not great. HP two, not great. Um, it's got smoke launchers, so you can launch some smoke. I mean, if you need to get your grenadiers onto an objective, this is a great way to do it. However, the grenadiers will probably be shot off the objective in the following turn. Yeah. It's it's not a great. Oh, let, let's be honest, and we always try to put a positive spin on things. As it's much not possible, a thunderhawk. Let's talking, put it that way. It's 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 not even a storm eagle. So, <laughs> is it for a narrative mission? Oh yeah, it could be quite cool. Oh yeah, but I I I, 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 I want to buy one just as a um for narrative purposes. Yeah, you you could have it parked one parked up near to your. Command squad, your sky shield, put queen. it on top of your sky shield landing pad. That could be uh, an objective. You have to get, then you could you could make a whole scenario around. No, I think but everybody should one... own one. I think everybody should oh, own yes. one for narrative purposes. I don't see yeah. why I would use one in the game, but as a scenario, absolutely everybody should have one. Buy one yeah, right now. It, it could be a, a, a Doctor Evil escape pod for your commander. So have one neck, have one close by to your force commander, and if someone gets too close to him, he just dives into his Arvis and flies off to the other side of the board. I like to do a scenario like, um, you know, when you're like stuck in the middle of the board, and 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 but that's the only way you can bring stuff in. Say that you have yeah. half your army, right? But you have to use the Arvis to actually break in your reinforcements. But the problem is most of your, apart from your command squads. And your grenadiers, nothing else is fitted in a single Arvis, which is why you need another transport vehicle. That's why you need a but... second Arvis. <laughs> no, you yeah, need something go, okay. yeah, let's far go better. better. Yeah. 
Let's go to the one. Something far better. And this for me was one for little joys in this arm in, in this army list to see this because this came from nowhere. And I'm talking about the amazing Cargo 8 Hauler Squadron. <laughs> yes. <laughs> You can have a transport vehicle in squadrons. So, what is the car? So, for those of you who don't know what the cargo eight is, have you seen the movie Mad Thunder. Max Thunder Road? <laughs> yeah, here we go. So, the cargo eight model is part of the Necromunda range, and it's basically a flatbed truck with six <laughs> wheels. <laughs> that, that's that's all it is. It's mentioned a lot in background novels, particularly in Necromunda, and 40k novels as well. Um, but the blurb about it, let's read the blurb because that gives you all you need to know. So the humble Kygo 8 is used on many worlds to move heavy freight, be it industrial materials, ammunition, or even beasts for slaughter. And can Whoa, easily that, be converted... So, so it carries militia. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Being slow, lightly armoured, and all but unarmed, these vehicles are far from ideal as street transports, but they benefit from being cheap and easily available, allowing militia commanders to swarm the field of battle in an attempt to deploy at least some of their warriors to the battlefield's most critical points. Yes, this is how you get some troops to, to survive one turn. So what do we have? For 50 points, a whole 50 points. Well, first of all, it's a movement rate of 10. It has a blister skill of three. Its armor is 12, 11, 10, with three hull points. It has a transport capacity of 22, so you can put in an entire militia infantry squad with a Medicaid and an attached character and their disciplined master as well. There well, you like go. I almost That's an attached gotta... character, but there was only one right answer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> disciplined master and apothecary. There you go. For that, you get one cargo eight. For their war gear, they have a searchlight. Careful yeah, now. Yeah. It has one access point on the rear. It has the vehicle unit type with third line and transport. So when it does get popped, and it will get popped, it's not going to give you away any victory points. But please note it has the transport rule, not infantry transports. That's right. You can put ogrins in this thing. Technically, why you can also wouldn't put, you? Yeah. Or if you really want to be devious about this, you can put sentinels in there as well. Because sentinels, and we're going to come on to sentinels very, very soon, have the infantry subtype. So there we go. You can put in a squadron of sentinels into a cargo eight. There we go. And just run them up the board and then pop out with heavy flamers. Um, so what options do you have? Well, you can take up to two additional Cargo 8 transporters. Now, it does specify that um, all the models in a single unit have to go on to a single Cargo 8. So if you've got a maximum strength levy unit, they can't fit into one single cargo eight. So even though you've got maybe up to three cargo eights in a squadron, you can't spread your squad across all of them. So just bear that in mind. Um, but you can put three different units in. There we go. Now, it can be, unlike the Arvis, unlike the Arvis, you can take two options for weapons. You can take a pinter-mounted heavy stubber, or a pintle-mounted grenade launcher. So never let it be said that they don't put guns onto these things. You can give it smoke launchers. 
You can give it a hunt a hunter killer missile for a whole ten points. Yeah, that's pretty cool. <laughs> you can give it a dozer blade, or you can give it an armored container. Because what you can do with the Arvis, with a cargo eight model is put the um, armatorium armored containers onto the back of it. Now, if you do that, if you do that, it reduces the transport capacity to twelve. It only gains the infantry transport special rule. So you, you can no longer put ogrins in there, but you can still put your sentinels. But your side armor goes up to 12. Your rear armor goes up to 10. Sorry, up to 11. And you can buy two additional mounted heavy stubbers. So you can have up to three heavy stubbers. Veritable firepower. So... I actually really like these. I think these are fun. I think they're silly. However, I do actually think they've got some potential purpose to them as well. JP, what do you reckon about the cargo eights? Uh, love them. They're great. Um, yeah. And again, the fast tax slots is only one thing that I'm, well, as far as I'm concerned, that that they're really competing with in fast attack. Um, I think they're. I think they're awesome. It's it, they're 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 just like flatbed trucks that are going to carry your guys around. If they're lucky, they get to be inside of a cargo container. The, I think it's the so only evil. proviso it is the only proviso you have to have with these though is as you bow them up the board towards your opponent, you have to scream "Witness me!" at your opponent. I mean, so many conversions, so many conversions. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're good fun. I think they'd be good fun. And hats off to a person who and fifty points. They're only fifty points. And they're not going to get Yeah, that's the other big people. thing. Yeah, yeah. They're not taking up a, a lot of points, and they're going to move an entire infantry squad, which is uh, which is huge. Um, I love it. Uh, 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 yeah, now, I have nothing negative to say about this. This is the best. <laughs> I wish that we had Chimeras. To be clear, Chimeras are in the Black Library novels. They should. I, I, I Chimeras should be available to the militia list. I, I I see why they decided not to do it, but they should be available, as far as I'm concerned. Um, but now, this is this is still great. Let, let's be aware they are third line, so that does mean any glance and hit yeah. is counted as a penetrating hit. And when they take a penetrating hit, you got infantry on board. They're going to be taking a strength eight hit. Each model is taking a strength eight hit. So when if you've got a squad on board and they pop, don't expect to have much of that squad left at the end of it. But. They're still really cool. I still really They're like so them. so cool. I, I love it. JP, I think we need to move on to possibly our favorite. Yeah. Do, do you unit. want to talk about this one? No, no we're, we're both equally excited by this one, aren't we? No, go. Because I, I can get excited by the um, Sentinels in a minute. Go on. You, you talk uh, about okay. these. So uh, we have cavalry. They gave us our yes. Rough Riders. Yes. This is one of those things that we've been telling Games Workshop to do it forever. We've been telling them that if they don't give us Rough Riders in the militia list, we will be very angry. We know yep. that people that work at Games Workshop listen to this show. We know that for a fact. And we take full credit for them being in this list. Because I know that Games Workshop did not want to make Darren and I sad. No. this so is, And also, as, as it's soon definitely as unrelated to the fact that there's plastic rider models. Unrelated. Yeah. As soon as as soon as we saw those plastic rough rider models, you and I were screaming yeah, exactly. at each other, yeah. weren't we? Just like, oh, oh, if we don't get these in our militia list when it finally arrives. But important point to note, they don't have to be horses. Because it just what could says, they be? Militia... What could they be, Darren? Taunton riders. Yeah, but, <laughs> we, 
<laughs> the other option they could they do mention is it could be motorcycle riders. So yeah. we know in the Gene Steeler Colt range, you have the dirt buggy riders. Oh, so great. On the dirt bikes. You've got the dirt bikes and you've also got the quad bike, which you could also use because you can take special weapons for these guys as well. Once again, have so, you seen the movie Mad Max Fury Road? Yeah. All you need is infantry and cargo eights and motorcycle riders, and you're done. That's it. You're good. So you can't all the Goliaths. Oh, talk us through. Also, another cool thing I would like to see would be um, do Talarn uh, Desert Raiders on cold ones. Because you get the cold ones. Yes. Yeah. Wouldn't that be cool? Yeah. I said it's something else, isn't it? There's so many. Like also, uh, note that Victoria Miniatures is currently, uh, as of when we were recording this, I think it actually just ended, which isn't going to be helpful, but um, uh, Victoria Miniatures is working on a Warhorse project, which is or was on Kickstarter, but will be available um, in Victoria Miniatures main line. So they're going to have um, 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 uh, horsemen for most of their um uh, their their militia or their imperial guard model range, which is definitely not Talarn, definitely not Mordians, definitely not Cadians, definitely no, not Valhallans. And uh, also on that Warhorse project they've done is they've got winged hussars. Wi- yeah, yeah, just and I'm yes, <laughs> yes. There's winged hussars. Anyone who is anyone, if you don't think winged hussars are cool you're dead to me you have go no away soul. yeah absolutely what's better than a entire horde of winged hussars especially what's better than an entire horde of winged hussars two entire hordes of winged <laughs> hussars that's the only thing yes yeah right come talk to us talk to us through the unit profile then all right so they're moving 14 wonderful awesome with a run you're right down your enemy's throat um, weapon skill three. Pretty much, they have the same uh, stat line as regular militia, except they have one higher uh, leadership. So they're going to have leadership six base, and um, the sergeant is going to have leadership seven. Uh, which again, that'll do. But don't that'll have an do. extra attack. It doesn't have the sergeant doesn't have an extra attack. Do you know that? No, but we'll, we'll talk about the attacks on them in a minute because okay. there is a challenge around that, isn't there? But there we go. Yeah. Keep going. So uh, base squad fifty points, five guys with the sergeant. Uh, they have their 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 um uh their cavalry uh cavalry. Uh, they have the light and militia rules. Um, so the light rule is quite useful because it means you can spread them out a bit more. It gives them a three inch um oh unit coherency. So that does help to spread them out. That mitigates some of the, the blast oh, danger. Yeah, that's great. A little bit. And I think they also move a little bit faster as well. I think that I'd, I'd have to faster? double check, but I think when they run, I think they get a bonus to their run move for being light. I know they definitely get a saving cover, a better saving cover. Um, but that's not really, you don't want your cavalry in cover. You just, no, 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 if they're never. not charging anyway. down the enemy's throat, what are you doing? Absolutely right. Keep going. So they're equipped with a last pistol or auto pistol, uh, close combat weapon, flak armor. And of course, the horse or Tauntaun or Cold One or whatever you choose to mount them on. Uh, special rules they have Relentless, which is awesome. Uh, Scout, so they're going to get that extra move at the beginning of the game, right? Yep. And the Hammer of obviously. Scout also grants outflank. Oh, that's great. 
So again, they're 50 points. Um, they start with five guys, but uh, they're eight points of model. So you get up to 10, so you can have up to uh, 15. Eight points of model is really cheap considering how good these guys are. The sergeant can take a bolt pistol, blast pistol, plasma pistol, chain sword, or power weapon. Um, I would go with the power weapon, I think. Um, uh, all models can either take a shotgun, stub carbine, last carbine, or the militia lance. There's only one right answer here, right? Can you explain what the militia lance does? Right, let's talk about oh, the militia come lance. On. Because you wouldn't take the lance. I, no, I always would, but we'll, we'll talk about potential. These are dragoons. So, They're cavalry. Dragoons have shotguns. Cavalry have lances. Yeah, let's talk. So militia lance, it starts really positively. So you have strength seven, AP three. So you're straight away looking at a marine killer there, aren't you? They're melee. They're ungainly. Now, we'll come back to ungainly in a moment. Brutal 2. So if they do have a save, say if you run into a, a group of Terminators, for example, then they're having to make two saves for every hit, you wounding strike you make. Sudden strike 2, so they increase their initiative by 2. But they're two-handed, so you're not going to get any bonus close combat attacks. And the ungainly rule means on a turn you make a successful charge, or it can only attack with this weapon when you charge, but you don't get a bonus attack for charging, and you don't get any bonuses for special rules that grant additional attacks. So you're only ever going to make a single attack with a militia lance, with a weapon skill of three. So that's why you need big units. I don't know. I like them. I like them. I, I, I like them. I like them because when the lance hits and it does actually do its job, it's going to make an awful mess of an Astarte squad. And you're likely to attack before the, the Astartes because you're going to be acting at initiative five. However, you're only hitting on fives. So two thirds of your attacks are likely to miss. But that's why you've got multiple models. It's, it, as with everything militia, you do everything by quantity. We're talking about 130 points uh, plus the uh, the lances. Five, uh, 50, 75. Well, about 200 point unit. 15 um, uh, militia cavalry with their lances. It's going to be like about 200 points. Yeah. It's pricey. They can, that, that's equivalent. I, I'm, I, I think they're they're as good as a the equivalent number of points of, of, of legionaries. Yeah. But there's still some more options we can give them, isn't there? Yeah, because they can all take carapace armor for two points each, which I would do. Yeah, which you would. Yeah. Why wouldn't you? And uh, one guy can take grenade launcher, flamer, melta gun, plasma gun, or a melta lance. Again, there's only one right answer. Yeah, there really is. Now, the obvious thing, and the thing that obviously you and I would definitely do, is give everyone lances, steam them in, charge them and hopefully make the biggest impact on the turn you charge because on the second turn onwards you're not going to do so well although you will get bonus attacks because you'll have a last pistol or auto pistol and a close combat weapon on the second turn but the thing is the second um, turn doesn't matter so much because that's when the second wave comes in yeah absolutely i do also think you could use at least one small squad armed with shotguns because shotguns have concussive. So you could have a Dragoon squad shooting into a, an enemy squad that you're about to charge to try to reduce their weapon skill. 
Ah, and then you have, that's very so sweet. you have it. Yeah, so you have a small squad of five with shotguns blasting away, and then you have your cavalry charge going with the lances to try even up the odds a little bit more. That that is a possibility. You can even have one of the guys in your dragoon squad with a grenade launcher to try to get some pinning on as well. So I do think there is some option for shooting on for shooting a shooting unit. I just wouldn't necessarily rely on the shooting. I don't think that's what they're for. Honestly. No, I don't know. But it is an option. But if you have got the provenance that allows you to take these as compulsory troops, so you're going to have hundreds of cavalry, you, you've got your Mongol horde, for example, then you could probably afford to have some cheap units with shotguns running around as well. That's true. So are you are you doing it? Are you doing the Tauntaun Riders? I'm de- I've definitely got Rough Riders. Yeah, I've... I've my are you going to Tauntaun Riders I'm, is my question? I... <sighs> They're being looked at. That's all I'm going to say. They are being looked at. You're doing it. Should we move on? Should we move on? I don't think you're ready to move on. <laughs> I'm going to have to move on to cavalry because let's talk about some beast masters. Um, yeah, this is an interesting unit. <laughs> was there a show called Beastmaster? There was a film called Beastmaster. I think there was a show too. I know the film Beastmaster. Oh, the film Beastmaster with his two little ferrets. Yeah, yeah, yeah the true heroes of that story um yeah the beast master this is similar to that scissors the silence unit isn't it and let's be honest the only reason we have this unit is because there's models for them in the necromander range so of course specialist game studio we're going to go well why not admittedly um, though there there was i don't know if it's still available i doubt it but there used to be uh, models for this in the Vrax range as well, in the in the um, the militia, uh, not the militia, the, uh, the 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 traitor guard. Didn't they have an ogrin? Yeah, dogs? it was an ogrin uh, with yeah. his, like flesh hounds or whatever. Yeah, these are definitely not ogrins. These are not ogrins. No. Let, let, let's talk about the unit. But personally, I'm I'm kind of struggling to see how you why you would take these outside of a narrative reason. So. Wait, wait, why Go you would on. take these outside of the most important reason is what you're saying. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Mark would be just walking on from this point when he, he wouldn't even break these. No. <laughs> you can't break you cannot break these, no. So Mortalis, possibly. Oh, that'd be cool. Yeah, possibly. I like that. Yeah, possibly. You, you could have a canid in <laughs> a caiman in Zoomortalis bearing down at your high speed. Right. So you have the Beastmasters. They are 50 points for three militia handlers. Uh, You do have to buy the beasts on top of that, however. So you get three militia handlers, each of which is armed with a last pistol or auto pistol. They've all got basic close combat weapon. They've all got frag grenades. They've all got flak armor. They've all got militia and skirmish traits as well. So they do spread out a little bit. Uh, they take cover a little bit easier. And they've all got the special rule of Beastmasters. So what does that actually do? Well, if all the models in a, mis- in a Militia Beastmaster unit with, this special re- with that special rule are removed as casualties, then any remaining War Beasts, when they're selected during the movement phase, have to go to- along a path of your choice towards the closest enemy unit, which is in line of sight. If there's no units in line of sight, then they're pinned until your start of your next turn. 
In the assault phase, if all the militia handlers have been removed, then the beasts have to charge towards any enemy units within 12 inches and which are eligible targets for a charge. But if there's more than one of those, you get to select which one you want to go with. So basically, um, once the beast has handlers are gone, they the beasts rely on natural instincts, basically. Um, you can take up to seven additional militia handlers for a total of eight points each. Each of them can take either a shotgun, a stub carbine, or a las carbine. And then there are four types of beasties you can have. You can have a mastiff, which, let's be honest, is going to be a cyber mastiff model because those are models which are most commonly available in the Necro um, range. You've got the Felidae. You can have a large cat, which will just sit around and ignore everything you want it to do if it's like yeah. most cats. Yeah. You can have a caiman, so you can have a massive crocodile. Or you can have a raptor. Now, unfortunately, that's not the vicious Jurassic Park raptors. We're talking about the winged flying versions, the birds instead. Uh, um, it could be like have... a terror bird, though. Oh, it could be, yeah. It could be a terror. Like, those things are those things are huge. Now, like most uh, animal packs, which have traditionally existed in, in Warhammer games, so you've always, you've had them in warhammer fantasy battle we've had them in 40k the tradition is the war beast is generally better than the handler and these are no exception <laughs> so the mastiff has a movement of seven they're all weapon skill four so i love the fact they are better at fighting than the handlers are they're equivalent to a basic legionary the mastiff has a strength of four toughness three one wound initiative four two attacks leadership save five and a save of five. That's better stat line than our basic militia infantrymen. It's a good boy. That's what I'm saying. It's a good boy. He's, he's a good boy. Yeah. He's, we can rely on those. Uh, now, what he also has is he has Fleet 1 and Furious Charge 1 as well. So when he hits, he's Strength 5. That's a good boy. A very yeah, good boy. He's a good boy. Yeah. He, he deserves a treat afterwards. The oh, Felidae have. Uh, move eight, weapon skill four, strength toughness three, one wound, initiative five, two attacks, leadership five, but only a six plus save. But they have fleet one, which doesn't actually mean anything because the handlers can't keep up with them anyway. But they also have rage one as well. <laughs> so when they charge, they go up to three attacks. So it's that vicious pouncing on that cats do. You, you do know before they charge and have that little bum wiggle that cats do before they pounce on something. I'm going to leave the caiman to last because the caiman is my favourite. The, the raptor is move eight, weapon skill four, strength uh, three, toughness three, one wound, four initiative, three attacks, five leadership, no pain, as no, no save, but it has shrouded four plus. So basically, That's uh, and fleet like one. It's, it's scouting around, but yeah, I don't know what it's going to achieve with that shrouded. And then you have the Cayman. So the Cayman is strength six, weapon skill four, uh, sorry, movement six, weapon skill four, strength toughness five, two wounds, three initiative, two attacks, five plus leadership, five plus save, and feel no pain five plus. That thing can take a las cannon hit. Well, I mean, Cayman's been around for like what they outlive the they, they're older than dinosaurs. Yeah, I think a last cannon is going to stop them. Well, this is it. 
Yeah. I, I want to like this unit, but I just, I can't see what you're going to achieve with it. I can't see, you'd have to have a really good narrative reason why these are fitting in. You know what you're going to achieve with it, Darren? You're going to achieve fun. You're going to achieve fun. fun. I mean, I could see a massive... Sorry that that doesn't matter to you, but it matters (laughs) to a lot of us. A huge pack of caiman could be quite fun. I think that could be quite amusing, a, a big pack of caiman. I mean, what's one of the things I find so cool about this is that you can... It does allow you to kind of like to build narrative around the world where your militia is from. It's like, what what kind of beasts, what kind of scary beasts would be from there? Oh, you could have a pack of 10, all with Caymans, all coming out of a cargo eight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you just have the cargo eight just kind of turn around, right? Because it only has the axe point in the back. <laughs> and like the, the thing comes down. The HTV and, beeping noise. And every, like the Marines are all kind of expecting like a, same Private Ryan kind of thing with a bunch of militia coming out, but no, it's a bunch of alligators. <laughs> Fuck it, I'm out! <laughs> Lucius, oh, I'm done! Be... I'm done! Fuck this! Especially, especially if you have the armored container, so the armored <laughs> container just drops a the container the full of alligators. No, but it's not even the, it's not even planned. They, they literally, the militia captured a container that was carrying exotic pets, and it's just like, you know what, we're throwing this back to battle. Yeah. It'll do something. <laughs> They'll do something in there. They could be interested in Zoe, in Zoe Mortalis. I think they could be quite a, a good bit of fun, actually. They could be fun in any them. scenario. There's no yeah. scenario where this unit is not fun. <laughs> like, what the hell's wrong <laughs> with you? This is great. Oh, yeah, the, the Cayman are definitely my favourite. I, I do like the idea of a, a big bunch of crocodiles. Anyway... We've got You can one... just go to your local toy store or dollar store and make this unit. Yes. Yeah, just get the little toys. Just get the little toy crocodiles. But just repaint repaint them, obviously, but how could anybody not enjoy this? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, brilliant. Right. No, but oh no, this is okay. Well, get get like uh, <laughs> figures of cats, but don't get them like ferocious. Get like <laughs> Cats that are, are just being like cute cats and put those on 40 millimeter bases. <laughs> Repaint them, paint them well. If you're gonna do this, paint them well. But <laughs> just have a guy just prodding them forward. That'd be great. That, that's the thing. Anyone who owns a cat knows that any Felidae, as they refer to them, isn't gonna do what you want at any point. No. It's just gonna sit there and look at you and go, What? What, what are you gonna do? Whereas the Mastiff will do whatever you want and be really excited about it. The Cayman is the Cayman and the bird will just fly off. But yeah, it, well, if their handlers aren't there, um, things are going to go uh, horribly wrong. They really charge the nearest unit, right? If the uh, if the handlers are dead. Yeah, they do. Yeah. Cool. That sounds like a cat. Charge the nearest unit. Brilliant. Cool. Right. We've got two more fast attack units to go. So... Sentinels. And so the next two units are units that um, have traditionally always been around in the militia, haven't they? So then we've got the Sentinels and we've got the Thunderbolt Fighter. Oh, oh yeah. So which one do you want to take? Well, my favorite is the Thunderbolt, but my tur- it's my turn. So I'll do the... Uh, the oh. s- you want to do the Sentinel? I'll do the Thunderbolt. I, I, the Sentinel is my favorite. Okay, so I'll do the Thunderbolt, then we'll do the, we won't do it in order. 
I'm sorry for okay. people that are following along with the PDF. Oh, you get some angry comments. <laughs> I was following along. One page more. Um, God damn it! The Thunderbolt is my favorite unit uh, of 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 the fast attacks. I know, even though I talked about how much I love all the other ones, I just love the Thunderbolt. I've always loved the Thunderbolt. I think aesthetically, it looks so cool. It's the best aircraft that Games Workshop has ever designed. I have them in 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 what's called now called Epic Scale. Uh, I, I've been using them uh, not to play uh, AI, but to just as aesthetics for AT because I've been using them as uh, strafing run tokens, uh, and now I get to use them in a game uh, with uh, um, Legion Imperialist. I love the Thunderbolt, the aesthetic. It just uh, looks like a big, heavy, kind of like its namesake, uh, the Thunderbolt. Uh, um, yeah, the, the it, U.S. aircraft. But I've always looked at looked at looked at it a little bit more like a a, um, a Sturmovik. You know what I'm talking yes. about? Yes. Yeah, I know the big Soviet era. Yeah, planes. the big with fat, a massive yeah the ill two the ill two I don't know why it's slung. Yeah, the single most produced aircraft in World War II, the big fuck off ill two. Um, this is the aircraft that Stalin considered so essential to the Red Army that he once telephoned the uh the 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 plant that was making the ill two and said it's like we need more and they were like, gotcha, gotcha, boss. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we understand. <laughs> We're not going to say no to Uncle Joe. Uh, called the, no. the the hunchback, the flying tank, the flying infantryman. Uh, that's what I see as the Thunderbolt. Uh, yeah. It's a big, fat, ugly fuck off fighter. Um, it's and uh, the model is huge. Oh, it's the model is yeah. It, it's uh, a gorgeous model. I I do have one unbuilt ready to go. I've also got the AI ones as well because. They actually look like they'd actually work as a plane. I know. Unlike They're a... so well designed. Yeah. So come on then. Talk us through it. Talk us through it. Okay. So move 22. Nice, fast. We love that. Um, you got your ballistic skill of three because it's a militia fighter. Uh, front armor 12, which is great for aircraft. Like that's pretty high, right? Big fuck off. Yep. Air support. Um, right. This is a ground. This is a close air support aircraft. Uh, your side armor is 11, rear is 10, obviously. Um, you have three HP again, fantastic for uh, your aircraft. Um, yeah, most flyers only have two. Unfortunately, this third line, which means that, yeah, all those glances are going to be pens, but yeah, that's, that's the yeah. way she goes, right? Yeah. Um, you have four front mounted auto cannons and two front mounted uh, last cannons, which yes. is great. That's a lot of firepower. That's a lot of guns. It has deep strike. Uh, it can also take uh, four uh, front-mounted heavy crack rockets um, or four front-mounted heavy frag rockets. I take the crack every time. Only yeah, 50 points we... each. Well, for the let's for the talk weapon. about the rules for those. Let's yeah, let's talk about the rules for those. So they're thirty-six inch range on both of them. The heavy crack is strength eight AP three. It's they are skyfire, so you can shoot at enemy uh, flyers for no penalty. They're sunder, so you get to re-roll that armor pen or that wound roll, but they are only one use. Oh, never mind, eh? The heavy frag is strength five, AP five, large blast, and pinning. Oh, look, another militia weapon with pinning. What a gun shot! You'll love to see it. Yeah, but for fifteen points, fifteen points. Yes, absolutely. So it's, gonna be it's the only upgrade. So it's gonna, uh, so your 
Thunderbolt's going to run you 135. 135. Yeah. This is a great model for 135. So I have two, yeah. and I will take them every time. Yeah, it's it's a nice it's a nice unit. I I really like Thunderbolt. I've got and, a lot of time for it. And I will also say one other thing is that um, I really suggest buying aircraft model because uh, aircraft models. Uh, so the you know either Thunderbolt or what are the other ones? There's a Lightning, the um, Arthas. <laughs> yeah, well, not just the Lightning, but also like the the the, the, the Avenger ones. Yeah. Um, it allows you to experiment with different uh, weathering techniques because you can paint yeah. them the same way as I, I I camouflaged my aircraft or at least the top of the aircraft in the same way that I camouflaged my tanks. But it's completely different weathering, right? Because it allows you to experiment with like dragging uh, sort of weathering down the aircraft, right? Because it's going so fast, yeah. like doing fuel stains, which really tends to happen a lot um, to aircraft. That's tanks too. Um, but yeah, it allows you to play with, with different um styles weathering it's not going to get as much mud on it but it'll get more you know um and also there's, there's lots of different ways you can paint you can do them in like the modern aircraft colors so look at like top gun and recent conflicts in afghan or iran iraq etc or you got the inspiration from world war ii if you want that kind of camo topped and pale bottom or you could go for the Western Front in World War One and yeah. go for things like the Flying Circus. Well, that's what so Mark did, right? Loads of things. Yeah, well, we did the Helleferian campaign. Mark's, uh, Mark's one of Mark's characters was Red Deuce, which is Wedge, right? It's Red Two. Uh, Red Deuce just kind of sounds weird, um, but uh, uh, so yeah, he painted it red, um, and and he, sorry, she uh, was uh, terrifying uh, my army. You can do anything you want with this. Um, it's yeah. it, it's some it's a chance to do something a little bit different because uh, your aircraft can be uh, quite different than than your ground army, especially if you're doing um, uh, 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 camouflages. Um, uh, I don't know. It's just it's a lot of fun to do something a little bit different. So I highly recommend everybody uh, consider uh, doing aircraft uh, or doing at least an aircraft for your army. And the Thunderbolt yeah. is just so cool. Like it's such a great model. I cannot. I love it. I'm sorry, man. That. When I say that there's one thing that I love most of all, I've mentioned that I like pretty much everything in this fast attack options, but this is the one I meant. The Thunderbolt. I just love it so much. Moving on. Yeah. And and the boots on the ground will thank you for it. Yeah. Right. So oh, uh, the final... uh, this is what Stalin said. Sorry. Um, he called the factory managers uh, for that were constructing the Il-2 and said that the uh, Il-2 was essential to the Red Army as Aaron bread. Yeah. <laughs> Get the message. <laughs> yeah, that, that's not a subtle hint, is it? Yeah. So let's talk about the Sentinels, which is probably outside the Rough Riders, my favourite of the fast attack options, because I've always loved the Sentinel. Ever, ever since Rogue Trader, I've loved them. I think they're a fantastic concept. These little light walkers, which are going around and scouting out the enemy. Now, we need to point out that this uh, option there's no difference between the Scout Sentinel or the Armoured Sentinel. That is entirely an aesthetic choice, depending on how you want to put it together. Um, and like the Dreadnought, it's also gained the benefit of going now going to a standard profile rather than a vehicle profile, which means they are that little bit more survivable than they used to be as well. So they are 60 points each. You can take up to five in a unit. You start with one and you can have four additional. They're movement seven, weapon skill, ballistic skill three, strength five, toughness six, with three wounds, three initiative, one attack, 
leadership seven and a three plus save. So they've got a fairly good profile. They are um, infantry. That's important. So they can go into infantry transports. There you go. That's how you squeeze them into your cargo eights. Uh, they're skirmish and they are mechanized. Now, we have talked about the mechanized um, traits before, the mechanized unit subtype. Um, but just as a quick recap, this that was two episodes ago. That was two episodes ago. Yeah. Um, this does everything that the Armager profile should have done but didn't. So, for example, this is what allows it to feel like a vehicle but still have an infantry-style profile. So any attacks with Poisoned X or Fleshbane have to be re-rolled against them. However, failed Armorbane weapons have to be um any failed armor bane weapons have to be re-rolled so it represents the fact that armor bane weapons get a better chance because they are mechanized um it can always make a reaction even though it's a vehicles um esque type vehicle or unit it can attack with heavy and ordnance weapons even if it's moved and can still charge if it's fired those weapons as well it is affected by Haywire Detonation and Battlesmith, as if it had the Dreadnought Unitype, something that the Armager profile doesn't have, and that's caused a lot of consternation with people. And um, you cannot have non-mechanised units joining this unit. So you can't have a character joining the Sentinel Squadron because no characters have the, the mechanised traits. Um it's useful. I mean, it, it gives them a little bit more survivability, but not a massive amount. Weapon options, it starts with a multi-laser, but you can give it a heavy flamer. Give it the heavy flamer if you want them to come out of cargo eights. Five, five sentinels popping out, or four sentinels popping out of a cargo eight and unleashing with heavy flamers. You know you want to do that. And that's a free upgrade. You can give it an auto cannon. You can give it a missile launcher with frag or crack, a last cannon, or a multi-melter. Yeah, most melters are pretty good now actually because they get two attacks. Yeah. So you know you you stand the chance of hitting with one of them. I like the Sentinel. It gives that little bit of a medium punch to your to your militia squad and some mobile heavy weapons and a heavy weapon that doesn't auto flee if it fails a break test. We should also point That's out, point. even though they've got a militia subtype, they don't auto break if they go below half uh, strength. They will stay around like Ogrins do. So, yeah, so it gives you mobile heavy weapons. Uh, it gives you a bit of survivability on those heavy weapons that heavy weapon teams generally don't as well. I like, I always equip mine with autocannon, but then I've always had a long standing uh, love affair with the, with the autocannon. There's no wrong answer here. Um, no, no, there's not. I, I think all the weapons actually. I I've always been a big fan of heavy flamers on 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 sentinels because um, they are fast and they can go and torch some uh, torch some works, uh, which yeah. is what uh, which I used to do. Think, uh, but I think the probably the best weapon on here are probably multi melters because um, you don't really have access to that weapon in most other uh, frames. I don't think. In fact, I think it's the only place. You I have think it's the only one. To. Yeah. So I like yeah. that. Um, and they do have scout, so you can either get them quite way up the table or yeah. come in from outflank as well. So you have options with this one. Uh, I 
everybody loves Sentinels. I've got nothing negative to say. Yeah. I will. Okay, I will posit you this though. What is the what is your favorite Sentinel model? Scout. No, I mean like your mo- like model, like the old Rogue Trader one. That's kind of like oh. a view just uh, sitting on top of a couple legs. Uh, a couple or the of one legs. that was the, like a the, car, the, the second edition one. <laughs> it's like a the car on legs. Sentinel. The egg sentinel. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. Oh, do you know what? I like, because they've just redone the model, haven't they? They've just yep. redone it. And I like the version we had before the current one. Agreed. So the one we, we, so I think that for me is really, it's got the aesthetics similar to Rogue Trader, but they look, it looks more imperial. That You've got that SDC feel about right. it, but you still got that nice open cage. It feels like something that you would just climb inside and hope that you can hunker down when the fire starts coming your way. Yeah, that but first plastic you... Sentinel, um, the first one they yeah. came out with in the mid-90s, uh, or this must have been the third edition uh, Guard Codex, so it must be like 98. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, that, that's my favorite. I, I, you used to be able to get them in, uh, in boxes of three, and it was like 25 bucks. It was... Inflation hasn't been so bad that now you can get them in box of one for how much is one sentinel now i'm curious i don't think it's probably about 35 37 pounds or bucks pounds oh jesus hold on let's go to let's do pounds let's do pounds i'm, I'm curious uh uk english okay let's look at how much a sentinel is 27.50 pound okay that's better than i thought so that's, that's better probably than I thought. 35 dollars you yeah. get three for twenty-five. Yeah, inflation hasn't been that bad. Ah, uh, the set no inflation. See, that should be your base rate, like for <laughs> how central rate. banks calculate inflation. How many sentinels? How many sentinels can you get for twenty-five dollars? If the I, I think is less than one, inflation is going out of control. <laughs> No, the, the real inflation markets should be to see what the prices are for new um, epic bits when they come out because you used to be able to get hundreds of epic bits for really low prices so the real inflation marker will be how much the new legions imperialist stuff costs that's our inflation marker and i used to be able to go to a movie for a nickel (laughs) you know we're we're we're, we become we become our parents my friend yes that's terrifying i I guess i guess that's what happens okay so we are not getting to heavy sport today. No, because we've been on this for an hour, <laughs> almost an hour and a half, haven't we? Yeah. So uh, one more uh, episode of Militia, and then we're going to do the call-in episode where everybody out there can tell us what they're doing for their Militia, how they're putting their Militia together, what their themes, what their conversions are, how they're doing their Sentinels, how they're doing their Beastmasters, especially how they're doing their Beastmasters. Oh. Graham has confirmed he's going to do his squat bikers. Yeah, he will. I always believe in him. Yeah, he won't. Graham wouldn't win this down. Yeah, he won't. He won't win this down. Okay, so that uh, I think that's going to be uh, good for today's uh, um, strategy. In the next one, we're going to finish off uh, the militia list by talking about heavy's port. Uh, and yeah, uh, if you want to discuss with us uh, your militia project, um, send us an email at age of darkness podcast at gmail.com and we'll be right back for tales of heresy
the overlord that called himself Hethemri had earned the displeasure of the Barbarian elect by taking lands that did not belong to him and then refusing to return them to the rightful tithe owner. In a fit of screaming, murderous peak, Hethemri had decided that rather than retreat back to his own territory, he would kill every servile and chattel in the region and burn the sodden, muddy land in revenge. It was one more hateful act in an epoch of small, pointless skirmishes that seemed to have no end. The Barbaran elect were the uncontested masters of this blighted world, with Northwestern below or above to challenge that dominion. And without such outside concerns to occupy their venial and combative manners, their innate cruelty turned poisonous if not given opportunity to be vented. They would regularly turn upon one another for the thinnest of reasons, an imagined slight, the resurgence of an old grudge, or just out of sheer desperation against the monotony and take a perverse joy in visiting their malice upon each other. But it was said that the Overlord Kin could not easily be killed, at least not by means that men understood, and the scars they gave one another in rare moments of face-to-face -face battle were few and far between. More often than not, they would inflict damage not through direct conflict, but through the destruction of holdings and the ceaseless brutality they inflicted on the humans that were unfortunate enough to serve them. This was the life of a lesser on Barbarous. To be human on this mist-wreathed world was to be born knowing only fear, to be beneath consideration, to live with the expectation that the Reaper's blade will fall with each new dawn, to know that creature, to know that creatures ancient and horrific held your life in their clawed hands, apt to ruin it or end it on a whim, to dare to hope that these ghoul-like intelligences would consider your existence so far beneath them as to ignore it and through their disinterest let you live for another day. What fear there was on Barbarous. What dread there was to know one's life was valued less than a pawn upon a regicide board. In the newly ruined wasteland created by Hethemri, stretching through the flaming remains of the road scar mill and clear across the Hadia winds moor, there was only ash and cinders. The furious overlord had called up green witchfire from beneath the dull earth, great tumbling jags of it that exploded out of the marshes to set even the damp mosses and knife grasses alight. Thick, cloying smoke hugged the ground, and the fire spread in loping bounds, burning everything. No one escaped the inferno at the mill, as it moved like a living thing to surround the settlement's walls, and then drew tight to smother it. Elsewhere, caravans of the dyke roads were caught in the open by falls of acid that came from flocks of fattened, blight harriers, one of Hethemry's favorite killing methods. Bodies fell there, moisture drawn from them until they became brittle husks and masses of powdery remains. Hethemry had no tactics in mind, and there was no great military plan afoot to gather power or land. This was simply an act of petulant retaliation, to salt the land and destroy what had never belonged to the Overlord in the first place. The crowning action of his viciousness was to unleash a great pack of revenants and creatures stitched together in the dank confines of an experimental chamber. The horde of things jabbered and roamed the burned lands, looking for any lessers who had not been lucky enough to die from fire or acid fall. All this destructive spite might have been tolerated if it had ended there. But Hethemry was a bellicose fool and not given to consideration of much beyond the next moment, the next caprice. The minor overlord's forces were so desperate to make murder that they chased the survivors into the foothills of the Great Grey Mountains, the lowest ranges of the peaks atop which many of Hethemry's ghastly rivals had their fortresses and holdfasts. They dared to encroach upon territory that the other overlords actually valued. This is where Mortarion came upon Hethemry's monsters as they concluded their killing of a survivor group that had been discovered hiding in a shallow cavern.
All right, welcome back to Tales of Heresy. Today's Tale of Heresy is the last Tale of Heresy in the main Horus Heresy series. What are we going to do after? I have no idea. Admittedly, there's still a lot of books to go through, but not in the main series. Today, we are doing Barry Dagger, correct? He got it right. I got it right. We are doing Barry right. Dagger. Don't, uh, don't start going there because that's when mistakes will happen. We're going to keep with that now. We've I'm said it. Writing it down. We, it would, it would just be it referred down. to from now on. From now on, it's just the novel. The novel. <laughs> it's like it's like what do they call um what is it Macbeth? What what are the what are the, the British call it? like the Scottish play? The Scottish play. Yeah, they don't want to call it by its name because it's bad luck. All right. Yeah. So the novel today we will be talking. Our tale of heresy is the novel. Um. And and before we go any further, first of all, uh, we are delighted to uh, welcome back um, our good friend uh, David, who asked us years ago when he came on the show to terrify us um, uh, about uh, um, uh, uh, chemical warfare. Uh, he 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 mentioned um, I would like to come back and do this novel, and and we're delighted. And at the time, at the time, we were too scared to say no. Yeah, we're too scared to say no. It's terrifying. <laughs> But welcome back. Thank you. Yes. Yes. Achieve through fear what you can through diplomacy. (laughs) So it's a resident death guard expert. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, uh, but before we go any further, uh, I uh, so uh, as usual, we're not going to do the uh, we're probably we settled into doing three um, episodes, like three um, parts of the book. uh, So we don't have like seven hour episodes. We try not to. Um, So we're going to do the first part of the book. Uh, begging the question, does anybody have an efficient synopsis for the first part of this novel? Yes, and it's actually a good uh, way to remember that it is buried dagger and not hidden dagger. It really, it is, isn't it? Okay. Yeah. Buried, to have plunged home a blow or to have hidden away for later. Damn, that's pretty good. That's, that, that's good. That's good. I mean, there are, there are slightly more facetious ones we could go to, like Daddy oh, yeah. Doesn't Love Me. <laughs> or, or Typhon. He's like Erebus, but worse? Better? Question mark? Oh, oh, we, we're going to get into that, aren't we? Mm. So this is an interesting novel, isn't it? And actually, for, for once, it does fit into our kind of three-part theme because there are actually three distinct storylines through this novel as well, one of which was quite surprising. I don't know, the first time I read it, years ago now, when we when I first read it. Um, so we've got the obvious Death Guard trapped in the warp, you know, the fall of the Death Guard. That, that's the main hook that this novel is fitted on, isn't it? We then have a um, barbarous past, how Mortarian gets the Death Guard original crew together. But then we have a very surprising one surrounding Malkador and the Knights of Eren. And that one kind of came out of the blue, really, didn't it, when I first read it? I don't know what you what you guys felt about it, but the first time of reading the novel, you, you suddenly reach this section with the Knight's Errant and, and Malkador, and you kind of go, oh, I wasn't quite expecting that. It does fall into one of those problems that the Horus Heresy has being written after a lot of 40k lore was done, where we know that Malkador sets up the Grey Knights prior to the Siege of Terra. This being the last book before the Siege, they had a lot to get done. And so it kind of makes sense that they put it in here, but there's not as much of the buildup that we've seen with other storylines that have been concluding um, since 
Slaves to Darkness. No, I, I would agree with that. So those are the three storylines we're following, aren't we? And obviously we're going to cover the novel chronolo- chronologically speaking, moving forward, but we're going to deal with those three storylines separately. Although there is a lot of uh, synchronicity between them, isn't there? There's a yeah. lot of parallels between the three storylines. Yes, and in fact, the way the book is structured for those of you at home who haven't read it, um, is it, it isn't broken into three parts or acts like many of the other books. It's it's broken into intervals covering the Death Guard portion and chapters covering the Knights Errant portion. And the third of the storylines, the barbarous Mortarian's past, are built in as flashbacks during those interval sections. It's, yeah, I find it's, it very, it's an interesting choice by uh, James Swallow. Did we mention that James Swallow wrote this book? Um uh, uh, we probably should, but I we don't probably should. We yeah, did. James. So the the wonderful James Swallow uh, uh, wrote uh, this one, and a very interesting choice was made that the Death Guard story. Which, look, I don't want to, I don't want to say this is the case for everyone, but when I purchased this book, kind of thought that the Death Guard were going to be the main story, and I think they are, but nonetheless, they are in the interludes, which the interludes are as long as some of the chapters longer yes and i'm i'm wondering if editorially there was some discussion on how they wanted to split up mortarian's past here versus what might have been a primark novella because the mortarian primark novella is eventually written by david annandale which also covers mortarian's past but not his past on barbarous so i I don't know how much of that do play yeah um, it, it's one of the weird things right. about the Primarch novels. I think everybody kind of expected them to be the story of them on their homeworld, how they came to most of them uh, to take over their homeworld, uh, Perturabo and uh, um, and Mortarian, and mm-hmm. uh, who else did not take over their homeworld? Angron. Uh, pretty yeah. much all the other ones wound up taking over their homeworld. Um, and I, I thought that was going to be a story. Angron's novella, we at least had flashbacks. Okay. We got his story, but yeah. Um, it's they're just there's part of it is there's just so much scattered through short stories and other places that it's it's hard to pin down what might have been a more coherent way to present information. Yeah, well, the Angron that version of the Angron is that's after the You don't really yes. need more. Correct. It's, uh, so that's a good point. Some stories are just excellent at saying this is this character and nothing needs to be said. Right. Let's get on with this novel then. So which storyline should we start with? With Which one should we begin with? Because I actually, personally, I think we should do the main Death Guard part first because this is building up to the big event, isn't it? This first scene is kind of setting the scene and reuniting some key elements as well. I am of the opinion that you should get rid of the broccoli before going to the steak. So I think that we should probably get rid of the um, Knights Errant part, and then and that that's my opinion. I don't know if you could tell, but I didn't like it as much. Well, I think the the Knights Errant part is interesting, but it's not what I would call a conversation starter. You kind of read through it, and you're like, okay, this is happening, but there's not really a lot there, and I kind of feel that's true for a lot of the Knight Errant stories. So we're, uh, yeah, we. We're as much in the dark as often the knights themselves are. Yeah. 
Exactly. It's like, uh, it's like no spoilers. Malkador is doing Malkador things, and no one else knows what's going on. It's <laughs> a good way to put it. So, uh, okay, um, it's up to you guys where you want to start. I was thinking we do uh, Knights Errant, uh, Barbarous, and then bring it into uh, the the main Death Guard story, which I think we have a lot to talk about. Although I think the Barbarous stuff we have a lot to talk about as well. Yeah, because the the Barbarous stuff is important for understanding the stuff going on in the present. Right, let's do Barbarous then. Do Barbarous? Okay. Well, let's okay. do Barbarous. Back to the home world. All right, let's do... Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. Yeah. Then we'll sandwich the Knights Errant between Death Guard stories. Yeah, that works. And we'll, we'll never get bored. <laughs> Beauty. Okay, so let's go into the uh, Mists of Ravenloft. The Demiplane of Dread. Which I <laughs> could not stop thinking of while I was reading this part of the story. And just imagining the wonderful Technicolor that would have been used if this was a Hammer Horror film. Oh, the late 1950s. Yeah. yeah. Classic 60s hammer horror. I'm sorry. Smoke Beautiful. machines on full. Yes. Dodgy perp, dodgy lighting, and Christopher Lee playing Mortarian. There you yeah. go. That's the dream. See, I was thinking. Yeah, but then who's Peter Cushion then? He'd be Sullivan. Yeah, he could be any of them. Yeah, um, take it's pick. a really dodgy, like, late 1950s yeah. prosthetics. Because the way it's described, I was thinking of that swamp from the never-ending story where things just we don't go talk to about die. that film. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we don't talk about that film. Really? I, yes. I like that film. Childhood trauma. We don't yes. talk about that. Manly tears are shed in that swamp. Um, but then, yeah, because the Lords of Barbarous are just these absolute nightmare creatures they are necromancers. They are psychers. They stitch together. Like, and this is one of the great things. Like, Mortarian doesn't quite have the words to describe it. Like, the they use they talk about like flesh golems and non dead, and just can't. And it's even just explicitly says like that can't live up to the horror of what these things are. Yeah, it's like Herbert West, Pinhead, and Jigsaw had baby. <laughs> oh, you got that's yeah. I love this. I love this part of the story. I would have. I this is. I would have, have read the whole. I would have read a whole book just on Barbara's. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. It hits me, yeah. it hits me right. It makes me all warm and fuzzy in my tum tum. Because <laughs> the overlords themselves are really interesting, aren't they? Because they're never confirmed whether they're Xenos or whether they're just debased humans or a offshoot of a human form, as it were. But Barbarous is split up between all the overlords, aren't they? And there's, it's very much almost like a feudal structure between them, that they're all in competition with each other, and they all have control over a certain amount of humans in their domain, and they all raid each other's human supplies to create their flesh columns. But the armies themselves, as David said, are these horrific flesh monstrosities that they've constructed together. Yeah, there's like, a lot of parallels. Uh, they're, they're stitched together. They're 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 Frankenstein's. And yes, I know Frankenstein is 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 not the monster. Even if you really read the book carefully, you know that Frankenstein is the monster. But anyways, <laughs> they're 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 flesh golems. They're they're just sewn together from different body parts as experiments. Yep, and backed up by like these weird steamwork tanks, and they do they do have guns and gunpowder. Um, which is an interesting kind of tech level uh, backing them up. 
and explains a little bit of the aesthetic we get for when the Death Guard become the Death Guard. Yeah, it's a really odd mixture of technology, isn't it? Um, what we also mention, in case the listeners aren't aware, is Barbarous is technically a death world. So the higher up you travel into the, the uplands, the hills and the mountains, there becomes more and more noxious fog. And the way it's certainly described in the second part of the novel is those fogs move down at night, don't they? And at night, classic Dungeons & Dragons and other horror movies, that's when the flesh golems creep down. Yeah, what a, what a horrible night to have a curse. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so yeah, they come down and 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 they take bodies and they do have yeah they do have vehicles like uh, like crawlers that uh, that sort of bring uh, the fitter of the the barbarians uh, uh, to to the 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 bio labs of of the overlords. Um, this is just beautiful be horror stuff. Be horror stuff. Uh, 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 we start by by seeing what's Mortarian doing. By the way, Mortarian, you would think uh, champion of freedom. Not so much at the beginning. Right. So Mortarion is working as the hatchet man for his foster father, who is one of the, if not the most powerful overlord on, on Barbarous. And basically a lesser overlord has gotten too big for his britches, mm-hmm. has started raiding the land of don't do that. other overlords who actually are important. And Mortarion is sent to send a message. And I love his... Um... Because he's equipped like he's equipped in the heresy, so he has his one giant blade, which is not—it's um, not a uh, a scythe. It's a um, I'm kind of pike or something. Um, uh, falchion. Yeah, fa- yeah. And, and he, he mentions that it's 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 a battle it's a battle for recovery, and it's not really what 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 like I feel in my in my heart that I want my weapon to be. So I'm just going to discard it as soon as it's damaged. Um, and then he has a black powder pistol, like kind of like the lantern. Uh, it's well, the a multi-barreled that, one multi- as well, isn't yes. it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's yeah. very much, the impression I've got is very similar to the lantern that he'll have as a Primark, but just much more heavily modified. It kind of reminded me, do you remember in uh, Warhammer Fantasy, the Imperial Engineers, and they had those, um, rotary yeah, black yeah, powder. The, um, it kind of reminded me of that. Yeah, like a, an overly large rotating pepper box pistol. Yeah. And then um, also note, he's created his own incendiary rounds. Uh, that uh, He's one of those Primarchs who tinkers. Yes, particularly with some of the more um, interesting destructive properties of weapons. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Um, but what is also important here is, unlike a lot of the Primarchs who have a relatively, most of the time, positive relationship with the people who found them, there are exceptions, Angron, we're looking at you, <laughs> um, Mortarian's relationship with his foster father is, as you said, he's been used as a hatchet man, but everything is a test. Yes. Everything is designed to push Mortarion on, to make him better, to make him a better war leader, a better warrior, a better fighter. And it's this perpetual state of everything Mortarion does is not good enough. Correct. Every time he's been tested, there has always been some part of that test that he has told he has failed. Not necessarily bad enough to get him killed or to be seen as one of the lessers, one of the humans, but enough that he didn't really, he, he's not a real boy. He's not a real person in the eyes of his foster father. 
Yeah. And Mortarian clearly knows he's not not human as well, doesn't he? He's oh. clearly aware of increased height, increased strength, other abilities that he has as well. So he's clearly aware that he's not the same as the humans which are being preyed upon. Yes, and um, and the reason why I keep using Foster because that's how Mortarion refers to him often, or just Father. Um, but Mortarion has been told contradictory stories of where he's from as he's gotten older. Sometimes it's he's a biolab creation, just a fancier version of a flesh golem. Other times it's he was found in the middle of nowhere and he would have died if not for being rescued. So he doesn't know who he is, but he's heard a lot of contradicting stories about it. Isn't there one of the stories that says he was found by one of the other overlords and Nectaria stole him? Yes. Yeah. That that uh, Nectaria heard this rumor that something had fallen from the sky and he wanted it for himself. Given so, that we know all, about Primark pods, that's probably what happened. That's for that's the most likely one, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that this is really important for establishing Mortarian's for want of a better word, his psychology, isn't it? We we know the Primarchs are formed by their homeworlds. And I think it's also important to point out that actually the humans on Barbarous are pretty stable. Considering they're on a death world, they're, and considering the, the environment they're living in, the gene stock is quite stable. There's very little talk about mutation amongst the human host, and that will become important later for Typhus. Yeah, the Death Guard, um, well, all of the all the legions that come from Death Worlds tend to have very hardy uh, um, stock. So, for example, the Fenrisians, um, mm-hmm. incredibly uh, hardy bunch when they don't turn to wolves. Um, uh, um, salamanders come from Death World, mm-hmm. uh, but they literally have to fight dragons. Uh, are there any others? Caliban. The Caliban, Angels. yeah. Uh, Classic we, one, yeah. We, we often forget about it, but they're basically living in every single horrible nightmare of like the Black Forest of Europe turned up to 15. Yeah, and <laughs> the Death Guard are literally living in Ravenloft. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, uh, it's it's pretty bad. So yeah, you, you get a you get a hardy uh, you get a hardy genesis from that. Um, and so uh, Mortarian. Uh, he he's doing the bidding of of his foster father, who he hates, um, and he's never good enough. Um, and then uh, one day he's after he's fighting all, you know, he he defeats this this one overlord that that got too big for his britches, um, and and his father comes down and, and finishes the job for him. This is a great moment, right? Uh, when he comes down with with like a a sword, um, a golden sword, uh, a flame, and you're like, oh. Well, this is moving quickly, <laughs> but it turns out it's his other father. It's his, um... Yeah, and the way that scene was written, I I actually couldn't tell if if it was something where Tarion was like a vision, a hallucination, or if it was actually that like Nick Nikar is just re- like one of the ways that he's really good at killing his opponents is like if you're living in Ravenloft and you're the one dude who can channel bright light and all yep. that stuff, it gives you the edge. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there are some interesting details in this scene because Mortarion is losing and he's actually feels fear that this is one, this is one Primark where we're, we're told explicitly they know what it feels like to feel fear. Mm-hmm. Um, and that he think he often uses it as a form of meditation, um, that he's scared that he, he'll die before he gets the answers of who he is. 
but he uses that to draw upon, doesn't he? He uses that to kind of fight back much more strongly. Um, I mean, the actual battle itself is almost over by the point he engages with the Overlord, isn't it? I mean, uh, Nectar's flesh columns led by Mortarion have pretty much overrun the enemy force. So this is kind of the final moments. Right, because the the enemy Overlord has released kind of his last trick, which are these absolutely massive flesh zombies, which notably have seven legs and tripartite hands, while the little flesh zombies <laughs> are described as having triad clusters of uh, of like weeping sores. So, I didn't catch that. They can't help themselves sometimes. No, no, they can't. <laughs> Yeah, but they the fight finishes up, and this is where we learn a little bit, like, Nikari is a big guy. He's taller than Mortarion. Um, I also like how, in order to see if Mortarion was worth keeping, he just threw him into a pit full of dogs. Yes, yeah. It's like, survive this. If if, if it works okay, you're, you can stay. Yeah. Um, and that, that whole thing of Nikari kind of always holding over the fact that Mortarian is alive only because he deems that there's some small degree of value um, that he's getting out of Mortarian's existence. Kind of sets the tone for how Mortarion sees his own relationships with the Emperor and eventually Nurgle. It's just, it's just such a weird thing. Like, and he's always referred to as boy as well, isn't he? Yes, it is. He's, it he's is, never acknowledges anything else. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of those little signs of this is a very abusive relationship. No, I'm sure that'll get better. I'm sure that'll get better from the as he gets older. <laughs> so yeah, there's there's a lot of uh, foreshadowing for for what will happen after. Um, yeah. But yeah, so this is battle and everything goes well, and and Mortarian is still abused and told that he's not good enough and all this other stuff. So um, later on, he he's in his for Mortarian has a fortress and he has his own uh, army of golem pikemen and and crossbowmen. Um, because again, this is Ravenloft, and uh, 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 he so he he he's at he's in his castle and he's going through some books. You know, he's reading books, and eventually he has eidetic memory, right? So like he 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 starts to get to the point that he remembers everything. So he he draws the ink out of the books somehow, mm-hmm. and then he so, he writes again, his own. He rubs it out. Chemicals. Oh, he's chemicals. Okay, I I think it was he soaked them in something and bleached out the ink. Okay, because no, the, the way I, I reread it a couple times, like so, he's he's removing the ink from the pages. Yeah, because at first I thought it was like a palimpsest where you just kind of scrape the ink off, but it's it it isn't. It's described as him actually like really like bleaching the pages. Or okay, that makes sense. Like, yeah, and he's writing his own story again. And at a certain point, you, you know, you see he has his uh his memoirs uh, or his memoirs or his diary and he, and, and it's all the same. Right. Uh, yeah. So I went to go he, kill he a bunch of people and, and then dad, uh, stepdad was pissed at me. And it's, and, and he thought that writing that diary would, would help him, but it, 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 yeah, it, it, it exhausted. It, it didn't, didn't, didn't do what he thought it was going to do. And what sort of significance is uh, the, the fort, the hovel, where he's based is lower than Nectara's own personal fortress because yeah, of because he the, can't get up there. the toxic fogs. He can't get right. up there. Absolutely. Right. So there's, there's always that physical barrier between him and his foster father. His foster father wants him. He has to come down to see Mortarian, which is going to annoy him. 
mm-hmm. you know, it's it's going to frustrate the, the, the overlord, the fact that he has to go to see Mortarion. Mortarion is also frustrated because he can't get to his foster father. So there's always that physical barrier between them, as well as that emotional and psychological barrier between them as well. And it's another way of separating Mortarion. He's separated from the overlords, his foster father in particular, but he's also separated from the humans because he's too high up for the humans to comfortably survive. They could survive there for a limited period, and as in minutes, but not very comfortably at all. So there's, he's always in this perpetual state of, what well, purgatory really, isn't it? He's in between the two groups, which should have him as part of their society, but he's not. So he's apart from everything. Mm. Correct. And that's part of the one big rule that Nikara has for him is don't interfere with the harvest, don't interact with the lessers. So that that isolation is very real. And we see it play out when he interacts with some of his brothers that he doesn't like them, but he likes knowing they're there. Yeah, that's a good point, because you never really hear about Mortarion being close to any of the Primarchs other than Horus. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Um, Whereas again, a lot I, of the others do, like Fulgrim and Ferris, for example, Magnus and Lorgar, they, yeah. they naturally pair, don't they, a lot of the Primarchs up. Um, but Mortarion is very much isolated from everyone. Correct. And I think that might be in part because... With, with a number of the Primarchs, where they end up either meshes very well with or is complemented by kind of their own intrinsic character. Uh, that we, we, we know that each Primarch kind of has their own thing going on. And so, oh, here's Corvus Corax. He's the sneaky one, and he just happens to end up in a prison world where they're in an active guerrilla war against their their uh, prisoners. Oh, here's Vulcan. He's the tough one. He's the stoic one. He ends up on a volcanic death world where everyone is a massive stoic blacksmith. Um, and so on. Whereas with Mortarion, I think he's one of those few, and I think definitely the biggest example of, where his whole liberty and freedom really does not match with his his upbringing and what Barbarus has up until events occur. And I think that's probably a good place to leave Barbarus for now, isn't it? Well, because... I, thought, I thought we were going to... Uh, uh, I thought we had talked about bringing it all the way to uh, uh, when he meets uh, Caleb Typhon. That is a point where he meets Caleb Typhon. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Okay. okay. Let's, let's, so, yeah. yeah, so... Let's, Mor- Mortarion the caravan his, raid. Yep, he's in his tower... He's reading through his journal, writing in his journal, seeing that every day is the same, when all of a sudden one of the convoys that is being brought up past his tower up to his father's, one of the carriers explodes. And he sees uh, a youth with a rebreather mask scurry out of this hole in the carrier. And a a rusted knife, just a tiny shank. Yes. And he starts and and this is this is absolutely bonkers uh when you think about it because again we're in we're in ravenloft there are these flesh golems everywhere and someone has someone staging a jailbreak and they uh this this youth 
is cornered, does some weird thing, hint, hint, psychic powers, and a bunch of lampreys appear out of the mud and start swarming the flesh golem. He, he also uh, force lightnings a few, uh, a few of them. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, he calls it down from the sky, doesn't he? Yeah. As, oh, yeah, so Mortarian's staring at this like, what the hell is going on here? And yeah. and the, the child, uh, the ch- uh, so the, the youth, sorry, not the child, but the youth. Um, uh, so the, the, he springs a bunch of the captives um, who are, again, some of the uh, the hardier of the bar- uh, barbarians because um, that's who they tend to uh, to catch for experiments. And and he looks up and, and he sees Mortarian staring at him from atop his uh, Dracula castle um, and 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 yells, what Probably are you? Silhouetted against the moon. Yes, of course. Cape fluttering in the wind. <laughs> with just, <laughs> with kind of fog accumulating all sides. Um, uh, and 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 uh, so yells, uh, and a weird, what, what weird are you? Light, as like, weird uplight, like they always had in the, horror, in the hammers. Oh yeah, definitely like back, like uh, underlit. Like oh, he'd yeah. be underlit. Well, I mean, yeah. and this is, this is where it's like, Considering the cheekbones, I feel like Peter Cushing would be more Tarion. I, I I was thinking the same thing. Um, I think Christopher Lee could do it because uh, he could do anything. Yeah. Um, I think Christopher Lee would be a better master of the Overlords, and and that uh, uh, I think Peter Cushing would de- be be a great Mortarian. Mm-hmm. But either one, either one, really. Yeah, that's fine. But then I'm I'm having all of the readers typhus. <laughs> that is fair. The, the young, that is the young Oliver Reed as Typhus. That that has to be the way. There you go. We've cast our fill. Yep. Now, now, if we could just be real necromancers, we can actually make it. <laughs> um, In the world of AI, everything is. Possible. No, we're not. No, no, we are no. not rogue wanting this film. Necromancy. <laughs> Please no. I, oh. I'm still creeped out by uh, uh, Uncanny Valley. Uh, Peter Cushing. Um, I still don't, should not have I still done don't that. get why uh, I forget his name, but the guy who played Scorpius on Farscape played Tarkin in a scene in like one of the, I think it was Attack the Clones or... No, no, it was in uh, um, Revenge of the Sith at the very end. Yeah. I yeah. just don't know why they didn't bring him back to but, do yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. Anyway. The Carrie Fisher so, one was okay because it was like two seconds and it was like really meaningful and kind of poignant because he had just she had just died. Like, But like... Peter well, Cushing did not need to be grave robbed for. Anyways, let's not go into yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll leave the grave right, anyway. robbing to the overlords. Yes. Um. So yeah. So, so uh, Mortarion feel like he's like, what am I? I don't know. Maybe it's time to find out. And he just says, "Fuck it, Yolo unicorn," and charges <laughs> into the play. Like that's it. That's that's the big thing. He's like, the question was, what like, what are you and. That that was the question he's been asking himself, and it's the first time it, it, it struck him that that was a legitimate question. What yeah. am I? What am I fucking doing here? Yeah, that that but, it clicks. Like there's this. He finally yeah. has a meaningful choice to make, and he makes it. But isn't it nice to see that deep down, Mortarian is just like some of his brothers. At that moment, to do the most dramatic charge into combat single-handedly, he will make that opportunity. Yes, and it what it's what actually, and I'm happy we actually covered this first because it kind of it's it's what makes the opening of the book so much more tragic. Yes, okay, I yeah, I see what you mean now, but but we, we haven't when we yeah. talk about the opening of the book, yeah, we'll, 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 we'll bring we'll that comparison back. in. Yes, but yeah, so so that's where we are with kind of the the first third of the book on Barbarous. 
it's a terrible, terrible place to be unless you're an overlord and you like arts and crafts with bodies. And Mortarion has grown up there and he has this pivotal moment. He's charged into the fray to support this jailbreak. Yep. And he also kills all his uh, his his personal golems, and and then um, and oh, and there's this great scene. We'll end with this, but there's a great scene where uh, the head over. I, I don't have uh, the Germanus personality on me. I remember what he was called, but uh, um, essentially coming down from his from the castle, right? Because no one can go up. All, like, he has the tallest of the fortresses coming down. All he sees like lantern lights, and Mortarion immediately knows. Oh, he's bringing a whole army, and he's going to kill me. So he tells. Uh, Typhon, well, he t- uh, Caleb, right? He just me- meets Caleb, and, and he tells him, uh, "I'm well, I'm going to die now, but uh, if you start running, I can hold him off." And Caleb was like, "Look, I know I, we I, we can get us out of I can get us out of here." They say I'm clever, and uh, kind of yes, and Callus. What did I say, Caleb? Callus. Yeah. yeah, sorry. Well, again, uh, and this is again. There's that weird thing of the barbarians don't really they're the actual barbarian naming conventions for people from barbarous don't seem to match over in the same way that we see with other worlds so their names just tend to be like it sounds like you could say this if your mouth was full of mud just just stick an or at the end of something yeah more gore gruel gore they're like orc names um they really are yeah um but anyways, they get out. They uh, they manage to uh, uh, um, uh, Typhon and manage, uh, manage to convince Mortarion that uh, no, no, you you could help us. We can get out of here. We can both get out of here. Um, and then they they do a thing where they they blow up one of the um, uh, the crawlers to kind of uh, uh, to to hold one of the off. cargo eights. Yeah, one of the cargo eights. Um, and but there there's this, this element um, where you know his 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 uh, um, this part where his uh, foster uh, dad, uh, not not his real dad. Um, like, you know, I'm going to get back here. I'm going I'm to whip you. Uh, and, and it's like, fuck you, dad. And, and, and that's kind of, that's the end yeah. of that. It's like, they it's both like what is also interesting. Down. What's also interesting is the immediate relationship is we see between Callus and Mortarion is Callus already manipulating Mortarion's yeah. emotions to get him to do what Callus wants to do. Yes. Mortarion wants to do the, honorable thing to stand and fight and to give those humans he's just rescued a better chance of survival to get by getting away. Callus is manipulating Mortarion to like come with us. He can yeah. see I mean he's just seen Mortarion rip through a they, but he knows who Mortarion is. Well, he literally he, says, I know who you are. You're 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 the uh, he knows his name too. You're Mortarion. And it gets it gets more ominous later in this in the second yeah portion of the book with what he knows um but for the moment yes it's just for mortarion this is kind of the this is the beginning of one of the greatest bromances of all time and for 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 typhon it's really just this is this is a new weapon in a war that he's been fighting for a long time as well as also a quest item yeah he gets dropped he gets level up now yeah um that you know someone someone uh was like, hey, at some point you might run into something like this. You want them to trust you. Because, yeah, Erebus Light. We'll, we'll talk about that in the second part, I think. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right, so that's Barbarous done. We can park that one for a minute. So let's return to Terra, that shining beacon of light in the centre of the galaxy. Because everything's going really well on Terra, isn't it? <laughs> 
Yes, it is going so well that they've decided they don't need grand monuments to the success of humanity in the Great Crusade, that they're just going to start tearing down some of the most beautiful things humans have ever created and replace them, make them into something like, I don't know, a tank traps. Yeah. Like I say, it, it sums up the new Imperium. <laughs> now, it's interesting, this section, this this first part, because there's actually three different parts, this first initial section, isn't there? Mm-hmm. We have a small scene which initially we, we think can be discarded in Imperial Palace. We have a scene on a massive walking city, which I absolutely love the concept of. And then we have a scene which is much more what we expect from a Knight's Errant, which is a search and rescue, well, a search and destroy mission that turns into something else. Mm -hmm. But all three of those do become entwined as the novel moves on. So it's a normal thing that that Black Library authors do. Here, have all these plot threads and we'll weave them together as the novel moves forward. And it's also quite what we're used to from Knight Errant storylines about having multiple threads that seems to have no connections at all, and then they wrap up. John French does this particularly well. Mm-hmm. So should we deal with um, the Imperial Palace and this enigmatic character called Wintour? Yeah, um, at this point, all we really know is that he is either, he's not quite a servant, not quite a pet, not quite a prisoner, but Malkador keeps him around to play games with and act as his opponent. Yes. And they, they drink and sack together. They have long conversations. Yeah. It's not what we've come to expect from Malkador, is it? Right. And even, even Winter, though, comments that these conversations, because they're with Malkador, even if Malkador seems like he's being open and he's kind of just letting stuff off his chest and, and using it as an opportunity to vent to this one person who he is able to talk with without it being like, oh, it's a Malkador conversation. He still is like, oh, it's a Malkador conversation that he can never trust that Malkador is just venting or he's saying that Malkador can't turn off being Malkador. Yeah, absolutely. And the point we meet Wintour is he's running, isn't he? He's running for his life. He's stolen a security card. He's literally got a pass card. And he's running because he knows in this particular section of the Imperial Palace, there's a landing pad and there's always a lander there. And he knows this security pass will get him to that lander and out of the Imperial Palace because he's had enough of being around near Malkador and he wants to get away. Mm-hmm. And it's really well quite written, this scene, because you do get this sense of absolute panic and absolute. It's not a sense of fear. It's not quite fear as, as we would encounter in some elements of black library novels but there's a huge level of anxiety i think anxiety is the best way to describe it it's that kind of sense of losing control of panic but not fear that you're frozen in terror you can't do anything yes and one of the driving forces of that that i think i think you've struck the nail on the head one of the driving forces of that anxiety is that even if the loyalists win at terra because of his conversations with Malkador, Winter knows that the Imperium is still lost. And that that anxiety of what's what it's becoming is driving him from Terra. And not only does he he mention it uh, to Rubio, like uh, that 
you know, we're doomed either way. Uh, even if we win, we're doomed. But he knows it too. You know, Malkador knows that. Yeah. Yes. Which is something we've had quite a lot in a lot of the short stories leading up towards Buried Dagger as well. We had that very, very famous short story of Malkador talking to one of his ex or one of his dying astropaths mm-hmm. and telling our oh, action that this was all planned all along. That was, that was quite a controversial story when it drops. We may do that one in the future as, as a little side by, but winter gets to the landing pad. He opens the door and there's nothing there. Is it? It's all been covered over with armor plates and it's been fortified basically. And just as he's then panicking what to do, he turns around and there's a knight errant and it happens to be one we're fairly familiar with. Uh, Rubio, the yeah. um, the former Ultramarine uh, Codicier. And he's one of the main Knight Errants as well, isn't he? He's one we've followed quite a lot. Um, his relationship with Garrow is interesting. I think it's worth touching on that because they don't always see eye to eye, do they? Correct. And and it's interesting because we've got <laughs> Straight Arrow Garrow, the Terran veteran of the Death Guard, and then we've got, I was, is it, is it Tychus? Some, oh, I forget his first name. We've yeah, got, uh, Tylus, Tylus Rubio. Tylus Rubio, the, the McCrag, McCragian ultramarine. And so you've got these two very different viewpoints to the Great Crusade and what it means to fight in the Great Crusade and what it means to be a part of the Imperium. And also with Rubio, there's that friction because he's an ex-librarian. But because of the Edict Nikea, Gilliman was a good boy and put all of his librarians back into ranks. So Rubio has always had that conflict of hiding his powers or keeping his powers unused. And during his recruitment into Knight's Errant, he was forced to use his powers in front of other Ultramarines. So that created a break from him from his old Legion, and he's never quite forgiven Garrow for making him do that. Right, that he he keeps his old Force Gladius with the the Ultramarine Omega in the hilt with him as he's been fighting in the war. Yeah, because all Light Errands are allowed to keep one item from their old Legion, aren't they? I think so, yes. Yeah, yeah. And it, it, Garrow it's... gets a special pass because his special gear isn't technically from the Death Guard. Yes, because his gear is all special. <laughs> He's a special boy. So yes, he is. He's a, yeah. So this is when returning to Winter. Winter basically offloads onto Rubio and tells him everything. And it's that classic scene of Rubio trying to call him back from the edge because Winter is standing right at the edge of the wall. And to give you an idea, they've said that there's they have to put in oxygen um, kind of engines at this height so people can breathe unaided. That's how high they are in the Imperial Palace. Oh, yeah, and, and, and the, really, whole, uh, the, the, the whole landing pad he thought was there has been just completely removed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he, he couldn't use his Lilu Dallas the multi-pass to get there. Yeah. So Ruby is trying to call him back from the edge. He doesn't seem to be making a very good job of it, to be fair. And then who appears to help the situation? Well, it, and... Again, carrying through the creepy Ravenloft vibes, specifically, Winter's been avoiding saying a certain name that he, he refers to he and him when they obviously know they're talking about Malkador. And then Rubio actually says Malkador and Winter flips his shit because 
He <laughs> said his name. And poof, there's Malkador. So there's very much that, like, don't say his name because he will, he will hear and he will appear, you know, uh, vibes there. And that's when Winter basically goes to jump. Rubio goes to catch him or stop him. And Malkador stops Rubio from being able to reach him in time. Yes. Yeah, he like he just yeah. orders him to stop, and and he has to stop, right? Yeah, yeah. There's like a like physically. Uh, yes. Yeah, it, it, it's a psychic imperative, isn't it? Is a term they often use for this kind of thing. Yep. So the last Rubio sees Winter is Winter gracefully falling down the Imperial Palace like a leaf in autumn. And Malkador's just like, yeah, I don't want you to say anything more about this. We're not going to discuss this any further. You've got a mission to go to. I'll see you later. And, and then, it's completely dismissive. Yeah. And Rubio doesn't quite know what to make of it. But again, one of the one of the nice things about working for Malkador for so long at this point is that he's kind of used to this, that, that this is kind of the, the general way that missions for Malkador end. Very unsatisfying. Yes, the the only person who knows where all the pieces on the board are and what they're doing is Malkador. Mm -hmm. And this is something that really comes through this first part as well, isn't it? So that kind of scene now flips to a massive walk-in city. And the description of this is immense. It's kind of... (laughs) It's. I'm trying to think of a, a, another sci-fi comparison, and I'm struggling to think of one. Because uh, I actually did. This... I did. I did think of one when I, when Go I on read then. it. Do you remember in Hair of the Empire where uh, Lando Calrissian has his own walking city, but it's all like ATATs that were like repurposed from the war, and you have a giant like walking city that always stays on the dark side of this like planet he's mining. Yes. For some reason, that jumped yes. to mind. I don't know why. I haven't read that yeah. book since like the uh, early. I 90s. think it's it's the description of the legs. Because they don't, they don't really mention anything about the walking city of what it actually looks like, other than the legs. And there's very much that AT-AT vibe. Yeah, so there's a, little, yes. like, there's a lot of legs. It's not like a tripod. No, I think there's and a, it, like a millipede. Them, and they're massive. Yeah, and it's on a set path, isn't it? it, it at this point in time, it's going over a mountain pass. Yeah. And the, it, you did give the impression that no one is really in charge of this thing or controlling this thing. It just goes on a set route. So it's it's almost as if it's on a lot of a migration that every time it reaches a certain area, it's there for certain resources or so on. That that's kind of the impression I got. And we have quite a number of knight errant here, don't we? We we do have several of them. And what they kind of inform us about is they're doing which at this point has become quite regular sweeping clears of shrines to the emperor. It's, it's the only way to describe it. Yeah. So we saw this in some earlier short stories that wherever the followers of the Letitia Divinitatis gather, that tends to attract warpsborn and neverborn for some reason. Who would yeah. have thought reasons why? Yeah, well, I mean, and you guys covered it pretty well with um, uh, first wall. That this is this is kind of the first. This is the first we're getting of what will eventually come up in first wall with the custodies and, and hunting down these cult sites in the Imperial Palace. Yeah. And at the moment, all the Knights Errant are doing is going in, sweeping them clear, and really removing that potential threat of warp spawn appearing. 
Um, and they seem to be doing this all over Terra. So there's separate teams. And this particular team, which seems to have a lot of their A-listers in, interestingly enough, a lot of them who would took part in the board and action on Revengeful Spirit mm-hmm. um, have here. And they're attacking what is can only be described as plague zombies. Yeah, because what they found is that the the number of sites and all the recent sites they've been to have been tainted. That they that the Imperial cult at these sites have all devolved these weird blood rituals and such. And yeah, now they're fighting what they call we recognize them as plague zombies or poxwalkers. They call them fly blown. Uh, that they that they get infected by this fly swarm and they turn into zombies. Yeah. Now, to be fair, one of Knight Errant, Varen, is having the time of his life in this instance because he's an ex-world eater, oh, yeah. and this is the, the target-rich environment that he enjoys. Yeah. <laughs> and counter-stereotype, <laughs> he's using pistols. He's not using melee weapons. But that's yeah, he's because, using. Um, go on, go on. With, with all these long, straight hallways, a Volkite pistol is just perfect. Yeah, he's using two Volkite Serpentas. Oh, it's, <laughs> here we go. And and they're overheating because he's using them so much. Just Everyone's in just, just such a nice straight line. And we've got ourselves yeah. a good old-fashioned heat ray. Yeah, it's, 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 it's awesome. Uh, there's one thing I, I couldn't remember, though, um, from Varen. Uh, did he get the nails out? No. No, no eh? Okay. No, he's still subject to the nails. Which right. is interesting because he doesn't remember. lose himself. Yeah, because they know they don't talk about it. So I was wondering if I, I missed like a short story or something where they, they took the nails out because they can't. No, they can't. Uh, like if if they could have gotten it out, of, gotten them out of Angron, they would have definitely done it. Yeah, but you thing... do get possibly the idea that Malkador is potentially psychically suppressing them to an extent. Well, there's also wait, 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 hold up, hold up. I'm wrong. What I just said was absolutely incorrect. Um, Angron says in I think Betrayer, it might be Butcher's Nails that they did figure out a way to take the nails out and he said no does anybody remember that? no, no. I, I thought they had worked out they could do it but it would kill him in the process I might be right it's been okay. a while well because we've got we've got Varen and then we've got the other one whose name I'm blanking out on who shows up in one Ison. of the black books no, yeah, it's another, awesome. another world eater. Oh yeah. Um, and basically, what we we see him a few in a few of the books as well. And it's basically the loyalist world eaters don't have as many of the sheer psychological problems from the nails that the traitors do. So there seems to be a degree of like the more you kind of let the nails set the tone of what of your actions, the worse they become. Um, and we do see this with Karn, that is, as Karn and the heresy goes on, he gets more and more in- impacted by the presence of the nails. So it, it could just be healthy living, basically. Good, good healthy living in a suit of Mark VI plates. <laughs> yes. But what we also get, as well as all the uh, the fly blown or the pox walkers, t- take your pick, whichever term you want to use. Mm-hmm. There's also more and more flies, isn't there? Yes. Flies. Who do we normally associate those with then in heresy and 40k lore? The Lord of Flies? Yep. Yes, Good yes. old Nurgle. Yep. yep. Good old Nurgle's around. And 
they do the normal thing that you do to deal with a swarm of flies is they use psychic fire against it, don't they? Mm-hmm. And that works. It does work. Um, but it doesn't work permanently because what they also realize is in the center where the the main shrine is, and we'll use the word shrine because it's the easiest way to describe it, mm-hmm. is the original patient zero for, for want of a basin where, where, where the contagion has spread from. And they realize the only way they can stop this infestation of this walking city is to go there and destroy the original body, the original host. It's not yeah, quite it's, easy. It's, it's Lost Boys rules. It? Yeah. Yeah. Another really classic horror. Together. Here we go. <laughs> yeah. This book really is bringing it all together. Um, yeah. And so they're, they're not sure how they're going to do this when, with perfect timing, Garrow and um, one of the other, uh, Galor, uh, also formerly of the Death Guard, show up with a Storm Eagle to blast away a bunch of the swarm. And the other two are like, cool, have fun. We go do Garrow things because we know what you're good at. And they kind of hold off uh, and get some of the civilians evacuated while Garrow goes to fight his way to the center. Yes. And when he gets there, it's a bit of a return character. There's a lot of returning characters in this novel, isn't there? It's yeah. it's very much a case that Jim Swallow was like, oh, I haven't used them for a while. Let's bring those back. Mm-hmm. And to be fair, very much with this, the theme of this novel is there's a lot of stuff from the past that impacts on the present. Yes. Who is the, the who is the swarm? Because it's a character we have, or a demon we have come across before, isn't it? Yeah, but and, it's been a while. Yeah, JP, yes. you, you mentioned him uh, a bit earlier. It's Decius from Flight of the Eisenstein. That which is, was book that five. Is, yeah, that is that is a callback. Yeah, that, I'm pretty that sure is he a, was. Was he in? No, that, that was that's the earliest he was there. Yeah. Yeah. So what? We're like 49 books later or something like that? Well, this is the second Death Guard book. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And the, I'm sorry, bud. Sh- like the, the short stories have done a lot of heavy lifting for, for Mortarion, but the actual Death Guard, this is their second book, yeah. Yeah, well, well, well uh, you do share them. Uh, as to they, be fair, uh, you uh, share uh, vengeful spirit. Yeah, and they actually have a big role in, on on uh, Moloch. Yeah, so, ben, yeah. In, yeah. in vengeful spirit, you do share yeah. quite a lot of that with us as well. But yeah, yeah. it's it's a similar problem with the Sons of Horus. It's like we very rarely in the entire series got novels of, for ourselves. But we're not we're not going to dwell on that because we're not bitter Iron Warriors players. <laughs> we had one book, and we had to share it with Fulgrim. Fuck that guy. <laughs> not i mean yeah yeah oh yeah, whatever we we got we got some good siege terror stuff so i'm not gonna complain yes yeah really right decius who decius. was decius come on jp fill us in who was decius decius was um he was the apothecary right no that's no he was uh, the apothecary he was okay later so on. Here, here's a, he, okay so here's what happens and this is one of the most brilliant things in um Flight of the Eisenstein is if you go back here, I'm going to bring it back. I'm going to do a little fluff flashback for those that used to enjoy that segment. Um, should really do another one. Um, so back in Index Astartes, when they did Index Astartes uh, Death Guard, they introduced a character called the Lord of the Flies. 
Um, and the real question is, who was the Lord of the Flies? Or sorry, what happened to Garrow? No, I got that wrong. Okay, so they, they have this little, what happened to Nathaniel Garrow? And they had like four different theories about what happened to Nathaniel Garrow. Um, on the one hand, he could have um, become one of the founders of the Great Knights, or he could have become this demon called the Lord of the Flies, or he could have become obsessed with trying to cure the uh, Nurgle's rot um, and dedicated his life to that. So there's like a bunch of different way- things that Garrow could have been. Um, and James Swallow clearly re- read that carefully and put all of those elements at the end of Flight of the Eisenstein. Decius is the Lord of the Flies. Yes. And metaphorically, Decius is the future of the Legion. Uh, mm-hmm. that he, he, he was the young, promising, he's got more raw talent than me, he's got a bright future, I'm going to train him well character, and then he gets stabbed with a corrupted Nurgle knife and becomes the Lord of Flies. Was that so, by Grogor? Yes, Ignatius Grogor, who uh the I, first will reappear. <laughs> yes. You you can't keep a good living weapon down. <laughs> uh so the Lord of the Flies, um, kind of rubbing in Garrow's face that yeah, you know, Decius is now subsumed and part of this warp entity. You know, it's the classic uh, you know, uh now we're getting like exorcist vibes, you know. Doesn't Shannon doesn't live here anymore? Um, how, <laughs> how many of these? How many of these can we get into these episodes? You think a lot? Yeah, <laughs> there's there's a lot. And it's what's it? What's interesting is is again the foreshadowing is um, the Lord of Flies is saying how everyone is weak, everyone turns. The truth is to accept it, and that the gift comes after, which we recognize as that kind of cyclical cycle nature, that mm-hmm. very Nurgle language. Um, but, you know, it doesn't actually mention Nurgle. It doesn't mention anything about death or decay or rebirth, just that everything eventually stops and changes and you have to accept it and it's a gift. And Garrow in classic Garrow Manor says no and calls down a danger close strafing rod on his position. But that what happens the story well? <laughs> well, I I love how I love how you you get this like two paragraphs from the point of view of the Storm Eagle pilot being like this is perfectly normal. Garrow does this all the time, and she yeah. has stopped questioning it, and instead just now thinks maybe her mother was right about the divine nature of the Emperor and, and his angels when she has repeatedly dropped full racks of bombs on this guy, and he walks away unscathed. With the explosion behind him as he's yes. walking. Of course, it's slow motion. Yeah. Um, but this time doesn't go as well. Because as she's diving down, a giant cloud of flies comes up to greet her, um, gets in all the equipment, and they have this brilliant little part where the flies gnaw through her like uh, her, her breathing um, apparatus. I don't know what they call it. Yeah. What, what am we talking about? Yeah. Um, you know what I'm talking about? Like the pilots have... Yeah, it has yeah. a it has a name. Like the the air tube or what have you. The air tube. Everybody in the service is now yelling at us. <laughs> um, so um yeah, so goes into the tube and everything goes into her throat and the whole thing just the, the storm eagle just crashes and Garrow kind of stares at the plume of flame of of what was the storm eagle. It's like, oh well, that didn't work out, did it? And it also hobbles the walking city. 
Yes, because it crashes into the lake, doesn't it? If I remember rightly. It, yes. And it kind of Which... hobbles in. It throws people off a little bit, doesn't it? But it keeps going. And and this is the other problem as well they've got with the city, isn't it? Because it's keeping on its path. And isn't it heading towards like, like a precipice or something? No, no. At this point, it just has stopped walking completely as the as the leg got uh, destroyed or something. But basically, it stopped walking, um, which kind of mirrors what we've seen in this section, which is all of these wonders of Terra are being lost due to Horus's war. Um, because this thing is older than the Imperium. It's from the Dark Age of Technology. It's been walking this path since before anyone can remember. And cool, we crashed a storm eagle into it, and now it doesn't. So how do they deal with Lord of Flies, then? Who comes in to rescue the moment? Uh, our boy Rubio. Yeah. Rubio's there, and he just psychically annihilates it, doesn't he? Yes, because if one thing psychic powers aren't when it's done by a space marine, it's subtle. Yeah. He goes in, does a full-on Emperor Palpatine into it. Yeah, he puts down that flamer template yeah. and deals with the flies. It, it's a little anticlimactic, actually. It yeah, really is just Rubio shows up and is like, hey, Isan, you know, make sure no one escapes, and then fwomph. Well, it's no <laughs> Samus. I mean, this one was a little bit more satisfying <laughs> than any of Samus's appearances, except for Solar War, but even then. Um, but yeah, uh, Desi, but I, Desius will be back. I, I, I have no doubt. You cannot defeat the Lord of the Flies, so that would be like defeating death itself. Yeah, I mean, it's it's an it's one of those truths about living in the grim, dark future. The worst things are immortal in ways that cannot be de- uh, be destroyed. Uh, Rivio is also here for another reason as well, isn't he? Because he's got a message from Malkador. Mm-hmm. And Malkador basically passed on a message. Uh, okay, good. You've got past the boss. Now you need to find the hidden treasure. Yes. And he says that there is something on the city. And Malkador being Malkador is not specific on what that thing is. He just says, you'll know it when you find it. Mm-hmm. So they break down. They break down into teams, don't they? They search for city. And they do find it. And the reason they find it is because Rubio's psychic abilities suddenly just disappear and that only happens in certain situations or around certain people or around certain people absolutely so who do they discover they discover a captured null maiden of the sisters of silence but she's and not very silent no no she keeps <laughs> repeating three words schism broken sundered and then once again malkador shows up via projection which again Malkador is scary powerful that Rubio's like psychic null zone, no powers. And the only reason they are it's like, oh cool, Malkador's here, and he's a little fuzzy around the edges. Yeah. And I love this bit because Gary turns around and says, Lord Regent, can you just not use a Vox channel like everyone else? And Malkador replies, It's quicker this way, more direct, and less chance of my commands being creatively interpreted. <laughs> It's almost like he knows the people he hires. <laughs> yes. So Malkador tells them to take the Sister of Silence, or the Null Maiden, I suppose we should refer to her really now because she's not so silent, and basically take her to a certain location. And he only gives the coordinates for this location. To Rubio, he says, I've got another mission for you. Now, 
and then he goes. But what I really like is he doesn't just disappear. He specifically walks off. And when Gary challenges him over, well, why are you just walking off? We know you're not actually here. Malcolm says, where would the theatre be in that? <laughs> and this is the sums up, This is what I love about Malcolm. He's such a great yeah. character because he knows the game he's playing and he knows how to really irritate people because of it. And he's yeah. clearly just having fun. Yes. It's, it, he's such a great character pretty much every time he shows up. Uh, so, yeah, there's, there's something about that archetype of he's the one who knows what's going on. He's more powerful than pretty much everyone else in the room, but he's spinning so many plates that the only thing he has time for is sass. Yeah. He's very old. I yeah. mean, if I was like thousands of years old, I'd probably be pretty sassy myself. Oh, yeah. Especially when your best friend is the stoic silent type. Yeah. What a shitty people to go. What a, what, what a shitty person to have to like live millennia with. <laughs> they must this have... is the other thing about but this is the other thing, isn't it? You always get the impression, and it, it is also highlighted in this book as well. You're never quite sure if Malkador's agenda and the Emperor's agenda are entirely entwined together. Yeah, and it actually, I forget where it comes up, but there is something about that where someone is talking with Malkador, and Malkador says how there is one massive disagreement that he has with the Emperor. And his biggest disagreement with the Emperor, the one that really is the thing that kind of really, like, no matter what, this is something they cannot come to compromise on, is the Emperor believes that the Imperium could last without him, and Malkador doesn't. No. Plus a disagreement whether they should have made the Primarch's daughters. Yeah, yes. that's the, that, I was about to say the same thing. Um, they, should have, they should have made some daughters. Yes. This is, this is really that's dumb. Cool. Like, that, we could have solved a lot of problems by just not having such a wide gender imbalance. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it's he's a really interesting character. He's as as we're on the D and D theme tonight. He's very much chaotic neutral. <laughs> Let's go with that, shall we? He's yeah. you always get the feeling he's doing his own agenda, and it just so happens to coincidentally align with the Emperor and the Imperium at this stage. Yeah, the Emperor's like, even awful his, evil. Yeah, it, even mm -hmm. his title, the Sigilites. And it mentions that he's the last of Sigilites. We've never had it confirmed what the Sigilites were. Yeah, the the closest thing we've ever gotten is that they had something to do with preserving human history. Yeah, or as he's got everything in stasis in his own personal quarters. Yeah. Uh, for Mona Lisa, for example. So he's just like, he's, he's an antiquarian. I was going to call him a historian, but he sounds more like an antiquarian. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Packrat. Yeah. Yes. Yes, because uh, was it the the Imperial dungeons and all the old tech in them are actually the original Sigilite headquarters. Yeah, like there's like rooms I, with stuff. Yeah, I quite like the idea that we've never been told what the Sigilite sign is. It's one of those pieces of lore that I hope we never really get fully explained because I think that mm -hmm. takes away from Malkador if we have that explained. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah, I, I feel that way a lot about many of the. The dark age of technology, the the old night stuff. Like, like I never real, I never want anyone to specifically tell me why was the why was the Mechanicum scared to actually try to take over Earth. I never actually want to know why Nathaniel Doom was demanded the personal attention of the Emperor to conquer. Like, I don't want to know these things. I just want to. I just 
they're the they're yep. the horrifying past. I, I, I would go further and just say that if they ever uh, explain what happened to the two missing Primarchs, the two missing legions, uh, like it will have the, the 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 setting will have jumped the shark. Yeah, it will have yeah. like stopped being the thing I love. They can never do that. Yeah, yeah. yeah so we'll leave we'll leave Gary there taking the Null Maiden off to these unspecified coordinates, um, and we'll pick up in part two. But we haven't finished with Rubio, have we? No. Because Rubio is on a search mission. I can't remember where they transport him to. Oh, oh! I actually double-checked this because I was reading through it, and I realized as I'm reading through it, I didn't remember where they were. So I went back to, to see, and it is a... I the Damarara Downland. It's a jungle, and much like else on Terra at the time, we don't. Uh, unless I'm missing something, and I am bad at geography, it it doesn't quite have a name like the the High Brazil Hive Stacks, where it's kind of like, oh, this is clearly yeah, I probably like, figured out that one. Yeah, yeah. Um, or like the the Dragon Clans of the East, and you go, okay, cool, and you know the Northern. Da, 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 or you know, welcome to Suda Freak, and it's like, okay, cool. I couldn't place this. It's it's a no, I, I, it's it's one of those unknown ones, isn't it? Which I quite like, and you do get a really good visual of Knight Errant. So there's Rubio and there's uh, Ison and there's Varen again, and they're going through this jungle, and they've all got falsehoods on. And we've come across falsehoods a lot with a Knight Errant, and they're these devices which seem to be better than Camulaline. And we all, we, we're all used to Camelion from Marine Scouts and so on. But Falsehood seemed to completely hide you. Well, not just that, because they're used by the Alpha Legion and the Custodes as well. They can also make you look different. Like, Custodes and Alpha Legionnaires use them to look human. Like, it, it really can change how people, like, perceive your height, everything. Yeah. But we never get the impression, are they created by the Imperium or not? I think they are, because I think they are referencing some of the Inquisitor novels later on mm -hmm. um, in the 40k universe. So I don't think it's technology which is which is lost as such. No, it's just on that on that ladder of it is rare enough that you only get it if you are very important or you work for someone very important. Yeah, absolutely. So they get to the location and it's basically um there's a large lander, an orbital lander of some sort, and there's some guys walking around, and they're all in kind of environmental suits, which is a bit odd on Terra. You wouldn't be wearing environmental suits unless there was something potentially hazardous in that area. And Rubio sensing around the area using his psychic abilities, and then suddenly another knight errant appears that they don't know who he is. Then it's not a knight errant they know now. This is something that comes out a lot more in this novel as well, isn't it? There's more Knight Errant than you imagine there probably is. We, we're used for named ones, like the ones that went on with Board and Action and Revengeful Spirit. But those are a more important Knight Errants. There's lots of other Knights Errant which are being recruited as well. Yeah. Um, another one that gets brought up a little earlier is a former Night Lord Dream Eater from their Librarius who was hiding out in one of the hive stacks of old Albia. Like, yeah, so this novel does a great job of just being like, 
everything you thought you knew about the Night Irons is still true, but there's a whole lot going on that you, you will never know about. Yeah. And when they meet this new Night Errant, he actually calls Rubio a different name, calls him Yotan. And he's so, ex- almost expecting Rubio to know what he means. Yeah, and this is so this is where the dramatis persona in the beginning of the book is a massive spoiler for what what kind of at least the, the presence or something, um, because Anyone who who has followed the Grey Knights in Warhammer Forty Thousand knows that there there's a list of founders, the the first grandmasters of the Grey Knights, and the dramatis persona for this book includes that list, and one of them, um, I Ios, is what Jotun calls Rubio. Actually, well, not quite. Jotun is the second night Aaron. I've made a mistake on that one. I'll just look back in that section. So, Jotun, but it's almost like he's not yet comfortable with that name. But it's almost like he was expecting Rubio to know what he meant. Yeah. So that th- there's that bit of friction there. Yeah, and then because Jotun is one of the other listed great, future grandmasters of the Grey Knights, hmm. and this is kind of and again the fact that they just put it in the dramatis persona. I kind of feel was kind of a, a shrug or like an I give up because there were, you know, a lot of a lot of people who read the the Grey Knight, the or sorry, the Knight Errants or the Knights in Grey, they were like, oh, well, obviously this is going to eventually lead to the Grey Knights because we know Malkador is involved in their founding. And this is either the most this is either the biggest misdirection ever or the most heavy handed this will eventually lead to it ever. So yeah. I, th- I feel like James Swallow just like, yes, I give up. Yeah, yes. I've run out of we've run out of time and space in novels to deal with this. Here, <laughs> have it on the plates. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, because the we do we do know that um, what's his name from uh, the short story about the the Thousand Sons Legionnaire who the the white scars find and he's undergoing the flesh change and they bring him back to Terra and he gets merged with a, with the, the good psychic shard of Magnus, the red and turns into a new thing called Janus. Good inverted commas. <laughs> yes. Um, Very much. And, and again, when that happened, people who were gray Knight fans were like, Oh my gosh, Janus. Cause Janus was one of those grandmaster first grandmasters so people started connecting dots uh yeah. that that this was coming and and swallow just at this point has completely leaned into it which is a-okay because the whole fun of the horus heresy is we know a lot of what's coming the question is how do we get there yeah absolutely so we can kind of fast forward through this bit already because we've still got the death guard section to talk about as well yeah. so basically rubio and his um Night errant team plus Jotun go in. Um, they shoot up a load of the, the humans there who try to make an escape. But as they're investigating the site, they come across a load of Null Maidens. And Jotun seems to be a psyker. Clearly, if he's going to be a great Knight Master, he's going to have to be. And they both notice there's Null Maidens around when both their psychic abilities drop out. Mm-hmm. And there's loads. And they're all talking. And they're all repeating the same similar phrases, but they can't make out quite what the phrases actually are. 
Um, Rebo gives some instructions to get them out. So um, Jotun says, I'll, I'll create a distraction or something along those lines. They do get the Null Maidens out. It's on a shuttle, isn't it? It's almost like a, almost like an Arvis lighter or something like that, but it's not an Arvis lighter. And in doing so, they blow the site up, and Jotun seems to have disappeared in the explosion, doesn't he? Yeah. Yep. Um, and then the only last thing to note is they also found kind of one of the big questions was how how are the traders doing this? Because they're they're pretty sure this is the work of the traders, and they find a lot of hypno indoctrination devices. Um, so they they just kind of quickly put away. The Null Maidens are being psycho-indoctrinated. They're not being, like, broken psychically because you can't do it that way. And it just kind of brings everything together. Yeah, and at some point as they're escaping, they all the, the, the words of the Null Maidens all do sync together at some point. And it says, Horus, come, Malkador, seek peace. And at that point, they're thinking, okay, we, we possibly need to investigate this a bit more now yeah I think it, which will lead us into part two go on jp no that's uh yeah i would probably investigate what the hell is meant uh, by that that's encrypted yeah. it's a tra- is it a trap or is it the or is it good part or is it the good part of horus caused by the wound from the emperor's spear reaching out because don't forget we we know what damage that spear is done by this stage because this is the final book in the heresy series yep mm-hmm. surely it couldn't be a trap no, of course not. Well, because, well, and this leads into some theories for later of Malkador the Emperor and Russ know that Horus got stabbed with the Emperor's spear. None of them know what Malagurs did afterwards. But they don't know he he collapsed on Beta Garmin. The only person that knows that at this point in the story is the uh, Titan pilot. Yeah. At Beta Garmin. Yeah. yeah. She's the only actually, person that actually saw him collapse. Esha. That's actually a very interesting question because this this does take this takes place between Beta Garmin and Ulanor. It, no, it's after Ulanor. Yeah, because they're on the way. So yeah, so all of Slaves to Darkness has already happened. For this part of the story. Yeah. Like, yeah. Cr- yeah. That is Chronology. true. We don't know we don't know quite how this lines up with what's going on in the Death Guard portion. No. Yeah, because yeah, uh, what happens at Ulinor is they 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 still don't know where Mortarian is. He has yeah, orders they, to run. They do question that. Yeah, yeah they yeah. do question that. Like, well, Mortarian's one of the more reliable legions. Yeah. And that is something that's that's quite apparent. Yeah, that's been more apparent over the last seven years, isn't it? Horus has tended to use Mortarian for the more reliable missions. We we see that in, in Book Four Conquest, the old black book four mm-hmm. conquest. There's a big section on there that the campaign of the Moloch, the campaign of the Northern Reaches, um, around Port Mount, uh, Moor and so on. The reason Horus uses Mortarian is because he can rely on him to get the job done. Pertraba is great, but Pertraba at this stage is also reuniting his legion from all the scattered garrisons and pushing on his own campaigns in the East. Yeah. And that- as for the others... You cannot rely on any of the others. The word bearers and the world eaters are having fun in Kalf. Mm-hmm. Alpha Legion, fuck knows. <laughs> yeah. Well, Alpha Legion just kind of botched their attack uh, in the solar system. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it, 
Yeah, I mean, to was be it fair, a Bartle kid? Or... Is a... Yeah, it was. Did it did it, it succeed? Was, did it not? If, if you count, we don't know what they were trying to do. Okay, I, it's it's the Alpha Legion. You have only two viewpoints. They either achieved exactly what they were trying to do, or it's basically a Tex Avery cartoon and someone's playing yakety sax. But yeah, let's go back to uh, the Death Guard. So we we meet Mortarian. And, and and the rest of the Legion, a big chunk of the Legion. There's a, there's a part missing of the Legion, which we'll come back to, uh, but they are um, purging a world of life. Old school. You could have they're used Grilgor. They, they don't use Grilgor. Yeah, As and- Abaddon would say, they're doing it the honorable way of warriors. Mastering yes. the entire population and killing civilians. But yes. The old-fashioned way with Bolter and Blade not with it, your warp craft nonsense. Yeah, maybe we should, because this is a big part of the early uh, bit that uh, Grilgor was desperately asking to be used. That yeah, did not the, come out the, right, but you know what I mean? This is, so this is actually, I think, one of the We're strongest... We're not talking Empress children here. No, but this is, this I think is one of the strongest openings to a black, uh, black library book that is in the Horus Heresy series because it it immediately sets the tone of what's going on in the Legion where you've got Mortarion literally do, like murdering an entire world population nearby hand with his Legion, but he's grown tired of the screaming of humans while simultaneously the only time he achieves a purpose, a, a clarity of purpose is when he's on the field with his Legion. Yeah, and the planet itself is really interesting because it's it's what well, it's basically a death world, isn't it? Because it's got a very poisonous atmosphere. It's almost like a, a well, it's more... it's a forge world. It's uh, the 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 atmosphere has been poisoned by millennia of industry, and all the citizens yeah. have had uh, um, breathing uh, uh, apparatuses uh, surgically attached to their to their yeah. mouths because uh, otherwise they can live there. Well, they don't have mouths. They've been. They get yeah, surgically yeah, yeah. removed yeah. at birth. They they kind of implant um, breathing apparatus into them, don't they? And they only mm-hmm. communicate via Vox transmission. Yeah. But and... I, I thought this was interesting because this is very barbarous, like, isn't it? This kind of polluted atmosphere. This this is where we would expect to find the Death Guard. And the other half of it, though, that also makes it interesting is that it's very similar to. Uh, Glassbar, the the notable battle from uh, Betrayal, where it's a world where you have a ruling elite, you have a population that's controlled by by drugs and access to food, and whereas previously Mortarion would, would have been one who was like, liberate these people, give them their freedom, now he's just, all right, Horus has ordered me to kill this world, and honestly, the only reason why I'm not deploying the life eater virus is because I'm feeling contrary. But he's also questioning why Horus has sent him here, hasn't he? Yes. And that, that's a key thing because he can't quite see the strategic point of coming to this planet with his entire legion. Yes, sure. But yeah. He but- has the, the. What's incredibly is sometimes you read these novels and you look at the characters and say, how the fuck do you not know what's going on right now? And Mortarian does. He's like, is this a ritual? Am I being sent here? Is this has something to do with the warp? Like, why why am I slaughtering this world? 
is this does this have anything to do with with witchcraft he he already he is cognizant of what's going on with his brothers he's not like and i think most of them are i think perturab also kind of knows what's going on but mortarian he's been studying this and he's starting to wonder what is the chicanery Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think this is an important thing to recognize as well. Something we haven't touched on is Mortarian hates psychers. He hates the warp because yeah. of his background with yeah, the, overlords. The, the overlords. He hates them. But in recent years, he has been studying the warp, but he's been studying it much more like a, a medievalist occultist. He's studying it as a form of science. Right. He doesn't it's- study it in the same as um, Magnus studies it or Lorgar studies it. So Magnus very much studies it from a point of view of the, the academic. Lorgar very much comes in from a point of view of the, the priest, the holy man person. Mortarian is approaching this as a mathematical equation, as a yes. science, that if we do these effects, we get this result. Yes. And in Vengeful Spirit, he even he even stresses that he's not, he's not summoning, he's not doing Warcraft, he's doing numerology. Yeah. And... Those like some some who know him, that's kind of why they don't see this as a big change because he's always had that weird thing for numbers. For example, seven. Yeah, you know, seven death guards, seven times seven paces away at all time. Seven great companies. Yeah, it comes up a lot. And where else is the number seven important? Hmm. Hmm. It's a tricky one. Not sure. I'd have to check. Huh. If only there were some jocular, familial person in everyone's life who just wants what's best for us and wants us to be happy who could tell us this answer. Grandfather always has the answer. That is true. Yeah. Always ask grandfather. He knows. Sorry. Now that we're all done being coy. Um, Yeah. That um, Mort- Mortarion is well aware that, you know, Ignatius Grolgor is now a massive warp demon thing that brings death to continents. And yeah, he even made, it, made him a dungeon. Yeah. It's kind of creepy in that. On his personal shuttle. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, when we say shuttle, it actually appears to be the size of a small battle cruiser. But- yes. But it so fits to, inside his, it, it the fits, Gloriana. <laughs> it fits, and that, and it fits a little. It fits at least ten thousand Space Marines, because it's what he used to get into the primary hive on Galaspar. Um, oh, yeah, the uh, Greenheart. Yes, it. This is so. Th- this is where. Okay, so quick, quick summary of the Galaspar campaign. The Emperor says to Mortarion, I'm finally giving you full command of your legion. Take some time, learn about what's going on in the Great Crusade, pick yourself your first battle. Mortarion chooses Galaspar, where he learns about the Order, which is subjugating its people absolutely terribly. He wants to free them. All of the Great Crusade generals are like, it would take too long, we're just going to blockade the system, it'll probably take about 10 years, and then we'll deal with it. We've got other stuff going on, and Mortarion says no. I'm Mortarion, these are my unbroken blades, we're going to get this done. And he does, mostly through taking the green heart and slamming it into their hive, and then letting 10,000 Death Guard run rampant with uh, Phosphex through the hive. But again, the whole goal of that campaign was liberate the common person, 
to the point where when the campaign is done, one of them who has lost their arm to Phosphax goes up to Mortarion and like weeps at, for her free, like that he has brought them freedom. And he, I forget the word they use. Garrow has it at one point in the beginning of Flight of the Eisenstein. He's got that personal servant. Oh, they, I know the guy, yeah. Yeah, and they say that it's a it's an old-fashioned, it's gone out of style with the Legion, but this this person from Galaspar, upon attaining her freedom, becomes that for Mortarion for the for the early part of the Great Crusade. And so we have this difference between Mortarion, the dread liberator, the guy who says, I'm gonna find people who are absolutely and utterly being you know, repressed in the worst way possible, or and I'm gonna free them to this man who's just slaughtering populations. And when he finds a family in a crater on uh, this this Yinix, this world that they're on, he he's like, it reminds him of something, and he actively suppresses the memory when he kills them with the lantern. And but he also thinks to himself, justifies himself, is like this this is a better death than they would ever have had on this world. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, but yeah, um, the, there's still that him as a liberator of sorts. The, yeah. Outside of Vulcan, some of the most empathic and some of the most um, uh, sympathetic, um, as in like people that have sympathy for others, so a lot of those people, a lot of those primarchs are the ones that tend to fall. Yeah, the more emotional ones, like Angron. Angron wanted nothing more than just to die with his brothers. That's all he wanted. And you have people like uh, uh, the Dread Liberator, say what you will, Conrad, Conrad Curse. Conrad Curse believed in justice. Anyways, yeah, that's how that's how chaos gets you in, in many ways. Yeah, and that that is that has been a theme throughout the series that the road to hell is not so much paved with good intentions so much as it's paved with empathy, but then expressed poorly. Feelings. That's how the warp gets you. It's feelings. That's what it. it so. The most unfeeling ones um, don't want to point fingers, but uh, <laughs> fucking Gulliman, um, definitely um, the Gorgon. The lion. Yeah. So some of those are tend to be the most resolute. It's it is shocking that Sanguinius didn't fall to chaos. He almost did, uh, but he did not, and it's shocking because he was a very emotional person. Primark. Well, um, we we don't know how it finishes. We still got a conspiracy theory. This is the emperor that kills him. Yeah, tentatively, tentatively, I think we can be summarized as Sanguinius's father on Ball actually loved him, and they had a healthy relationship. (laughs) So what you're saying is that a healthy relationship will will actually be good for you in the long term. Shocking concepts. Anyway, let's go back to let's let's go back to Mortarion's campaign on Inic, shall we? So. Well, it starts off the it's, campaign's essentially over, and there's right. a few stragglers here and there. There is a fortress that Mortarian that Mortarian looks at. It's like, well, I'm gonna have to destroy that, won't I? Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 at, at one point you have all the uh the not the Grave Wardens, the Grave Wardens aren't there right now, but you have some breach or something, they're trying to get in, and it's like, well, we can't get in here. So Mortarian just throws a couple of those like <laughs> cluster bombs that he has. Yep. Um, and then and then a big yeah, hole. The- isn't it chemicals of his own creation, yeah. isn't it? So yeah, yeah it burns a huge a huge hole into it. They burst in, slaughter everyone, um, and then they find uh, uh, the, the, the 
I guess, well, they have to fight a couple of Ogrins, Ogrin-like creatures, uh, uh, constructs. But like the really interesting part is when they get to, into the throne world and realize who's running this whole operation, who is the ruler of this world, and it's Krang. <laughs> um. Yes, it it is a mechanicus thing floating in his tank, brain and all, withered body. Just brain. I, I, was there a body attached to it? I read it that it was just a brain. It very well could have been. I got distracted by go the back. fact that the uh, the tank is suspended above a small miniature replica of the Emperor's throne. Because Mortarion has seen the Emperor's throne, so he knows what he's talking about when he's like, this is this is the Imperium. There's There's the Emperor at the core of it, and his sickness is just replicated over and over again. You know what? I went with uh, Krang. I should have gone with Mother Brain from Metroid. That's what this mm. thing is. It's Krang's definitely it's not also... in that. No. But it's also a young boy in a room, isn't there? Who's a psycho. Yeah. So he yeah. attacks Mortarian. Um, and Because that always goes well. Uh, well, actually, Mortarian is not the one who takes him out. Because right. guess and, who's back? Well, so at this point, there's there's two things... To, to mention that we, we skipped over, um, one, on their way towards the Citadel, um, his equiary, Grolgor, not Grolgor, they all... Morag. Yes, Morag, Morag? thank you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Morag. Um, the fleet contacts him and says, we've got unidentified ships coming in. Or no, we've got Death Guard ships coming in. And he's like, that doesn't make any sense. The entire fleet is here. Oh, wait. And when he goes to tell Mortarion, Mortarion is like, save it for later. I'm busy as he's killing stuff. Um, and then the second being when they confront this boy who is psychic, Mortarion has this moment of like, I should just, I, I could just literally get rid of all of the psychic shenanigans that I've been up to, like all the warp craft that I've been storing. I can just throw it all in a fusion reactor, but I'm not going to. But once this war is done, I am going to purge the hell out of every witch in the galaxy. Yeah, that that would have been an interesting discussion with Magnus at the end of the campaign. Exactly. But again, it sets up that irony of who happens to come in and kill this psyker. It's his long lost favorite brother, isn't it? He, he refers to this individual as a brother. Yes. And it, it sets their relationship Oh, JP apart. was going to butt in there. I think JP was about to launch into something. No, not launching anything, but did anybody find it a little bit jarring, this brother thing? Because this came out of nowhere. This was not... I, I don't remember... Look, David, you're you're the Death Guard expert. Um, you've read all the short stories. I've read, I think I've read most of them. I, I haven't read the Primark novel yet, but I don't remember a single time in Five the Einstein or any of the short stories or in Ventral Spirit that Mortarian is ever called Typhon uh, brother. We, we, we tend to see that a little bit more from Typhon's point of view in some of the Typhon short stories, that the reason he's been given this freedom to take a, a not insubstantial portion of the Legion just elsewhere because no one, no one, Mortarion and everyone with his fleet, 
None of them know where Typhon and his fleet are. Um, so you have the entire first captain of the Death Guard Legion, his personal retinue of Grave Wardens, the Terminus Est, which is said to be as powerful as the Endurance, their flagship, and a not insubstantial portion of the Legion and fleet, and just doing stuff during the war. And no one in the Death Guard proper knows what they're doing or where they are. And in the Typhon short stories, we really get the impression that this is because Mortarion trusts Typhon to a degree that he does not trust anyone else because of their time on Barbarous together. And one of the things that this, this book does is we see how young Typhon actually is on Barbarous, that they have a very similar relation as Lorgar and Corferon does, but because Typhus was so much younger, instead of that father-son relationship, it falls into a big brother-little brother relationship, except again, Typhon's the cunning one. That Mortarion's the muscle, Mortarion's very intelligent and smart, but Typhon is the cunning one. Well, he's the Erebus, the relationship. Instead of yeah. a poor pharaoh, he's more of like an Erebus. Um, uh, okay, I stand corrected. Uh, I, I felt it when I read, when I looked at, uh, you know, him calling brother, it was just yeah. like, ah, oh, that doesn't sound, that's not, that's not the way Primarchs talk to people. Um, so, even, the, even the core Pharaoh and Lorgar relationship is, is not yeah. that, well, that informal, if you will. And, and that, well, that's the thing that makes their relationship so unique compared to what we see. The closest we see with this elsewhere is Lehman Russ and his, warriors that made the train like his personal warriors from fenris yeah um, yeah but even there there's that level of separation of i'm now a primarch you are my captains whereas and they were always under him on fenris also whereas on barbarous typhon and mortarion are much more equal which is why Typhon and Luther get along like gangbusters because that's the other similarity that we have is Luther and the lion. But that's yeah, a very different relationship. Well, again, because the lion, when the lion met Luther, Luther was an adult. Luther took on that role of parent. Whereas when Typhon and Mortarion met, Typhon's a kid. See, interesting. I, I, I didn't, uh, I, I didn't realize that. I think you're right. You're definitely right about that. Um, but again, it, it felt jarring to me. But anyways, Typhon comes in. Yeah. He's he he deals with the little kid, and then uh, Mortarion um, kind of breaks the glass and squishes the brain, and yes. that's the end of that <laughs> problem solved. <laughs> I think it's also worth noting at this point is from the Typhon short stories, we know by this stage that he has taken a mark of Nurgle, and he has yes. and he has been blessed. That is oh, in one but that, of the short that happens stories. in uh, in 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 Flight of the Einstein. In Flight of the Einstein, he's already kind of poking at like. There's three oh, little dots that showed up, and they it. poked at it. It felt good. Yeah, but in a short story that happens before this novel is set, he is specifically given the mark of Nurgle and officially becomes a a fully. Oh, well, he's on the, he's on the path of glory. So we already yes. he already has his plus one toughness in this in this story. Oh yes. yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Oh awesome. He's he's good got he's got he's yeah he. He's got ethereal flies that he's seeing out of the corner of his eyes. Yep. The buzzing is constant. So he, the flies are coming is, out of his armor too, like right? 
not uh, not so, at this stage no no it happens yet. no no uh there it, it does happen um around here mm-hmm. that a little fly hatches from him and like just a single one um kind of like uh, goes through his armor plate and and kind of flies off um yeah so i think that's yeah. for, more foreshadowing it's not the destroyer hive yeah correct it's not the destroyer hive yet um and mortarion even is wondering because he thinks he sees something out of the corner of his eye that he he's aware that something has happened with typhon uh, he just doesn't know what well already he he trusts as, as much as he could trust any witch but he's never going to trust a witch but the, it, okay so my, my favorite part of the of of, of the non-barbara uh, obviously the not barbarous favorite part of, of this whole first part though there's this um just this brief little moment um after all this happens and so uh typhon uh rejoins the fleet because he has his own fleet right so they rejoin mm-hmm. and he talks to um a mortarian and he brings tidings from the war master and it's time to rejoin the war and we have to bring the whole legion together because it's time to strike a terra and there's this brief little moment that typhon kind of looks at a world that's been slaughtered um and 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 thinks to himself how beautiful it is of all the new life that will come out of all this death the this eternal cycle of life and death that is nurgle and that's when that fly comes out right and that, that, yeah. that I thought that was po- poignant, right? Because he watches the fly go, go make new life, go plant, go make maggots. And, and very soon, this world that has been butchered will once again be teeming with life. And that is Nurgle. Yeah. And, and oh, sorry, what is what also has to come in at this point is they do talk about Barbarous, and it's confirmed that Barbarous has yes. been uh, visited by torpedo. good old Lino. Li- Lionel Johnson in his cyclonic torpedo tour for yes. the Eastern Fringe. This is this is just the, yeah. I, I love this because again, like Typhon at this point doesn't really care because he's on the path to glory. He's he knows he's bound for much greater things than just the dirt of Barbarus. Though he does coyly say, "Hey, when the war is done, we should ask Horus if we can take Caliban as our new homeworld." <laughs> yeah, and 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 make them pay uh, for centuries. Uh, take yeah. our revenge out on 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 Caliban. Um, and, and there's something that appeals to Mortarian about that. I, that, that, that's a fair trade. That makes sense. Yep. And his sense of his justice, right? They're, they're looking forward to fighting the dark angels on Terra because they both assume that the lion is going to be there with his leader. Yeah, that's for, a great moment. It's like, there's no way that the lion, that, that, that their sense of honor will keep them away from the fight. Yeah. And it did. Yeah. Meanwhile, there's, there's, like, a, there's a problem that Typhon isn't, <laughs> yeah, isn't innocent about <laughs> that occupies the Dark Ages' attention. <laughs> Just tie together well. Yeah. Um, though also, and you mentioned this, that Typhon is the one who brings the news that Horus has summoned the Death Guard to Terra. And we learn Horus didn't technically tell Typhon nor Mortarion, Typhon learned from Erebus, Mortarion learned from Malagurst that that Horus himself did not directly tell them, and Mortarion is a little insulted by that. Yeah, but nonetheless, the war calls. Yeah. And, and so they, they bring the Legion together, and this other part that Typhon, Typhon really believes that it's important to show unity as they're going into battle in the final battle um mm-hmm. and 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 since typhon's been away for so long with his fleet 
And he tell, tells Mortarian, you should command from the Terminus Est and not the Endurance. Right. And this has absolutely nothing to do with a, a pouch full of data no, no. That, that Erebus gave to Typhon. Nothing. This is purely to show that the Legion is reunited. Don't worry about it. Yep. Nothing is that nothing can stand against the Death Guard when the Death Guard stand together. It's well put. And uh, Mortarion agrees. He says, "Yeah, that that's true." But he is surprised by this. He wasn't expecting Typhon to make that offer. Yeah, and partly because, and this is this was one of the weird things where it's like Typhon makes the offer. Mortarion accepts it. It's a little ham-handed. And considering that what Typhon has planned is for the entire fleet, I, I'm not 100% sure why he felt that Mortarion had to be on the Terminus Est. I think it's a combination of things. I think it's one, he then gets Grogor on the on the Terminus Est, and he needs Grogor to activate what he wants to do fully. And two, the Terminus Est is clearly corrupted by this stage. Mm. That makes sense. Yeah. So it, it that's it, if you want to look at it in terms of focal points, the Terminus Est is going to be the focus of Nurgle's attention when that goes into warp, and also. On a practical level, that ship is completely devoted to Typhon. The crew are completely de- devoted to Typhon. He can manage that situation a lot more. Yeah, yeah. and also since it's a, it has the mark of Nurgle, it gets an extra hull point, which is pretty big. <laughs> uh, you're going to battle yeah. Terra. <laughs> that is very true. Yeah, <laughs> and oh, well, especially as we know, and it can't yeah. be boarded. It can't be boarded. That's right. Yeah, which is when you're fighting for twenty five points. When someone's got a stand full of Thunderhawks, that matters a lot. And we know the Terminus S survives until the 41st millennium. Yes. It's, it, it's still tied for the ship, but we don't All hear good about reasons. the endurance. Yeah, so, you know, yeah. it's got plot armor. It's got... <laughs> <laughs> so anyways, they, they gather the fleet together, and, and then they they head into the warp. Um, so they go into the warp, and, and they, they did mention, you know, the closing the... Uh, Closing all the, the 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 viewing portals, right? Because you don't want to see the insanity of the warp and activating the Geller fields and starting the tra- the translation into warp space. Things get real weird real fast. Well, well it's thought... also in fact that Mortarian orders the shutters to stay open for as long as yeah. possible on the bridge. This is this is the like this is the point where you're like, oh yeah, he's definitely Perturabo's brother. Where it's like, I want to play chicken with staring into the warp. <laughs> It's like I'm better than it, and I mean he's not—he's not entirely wrong. It works really well right up until it doesn't. But that's not why. Right. Why what happens happens. Um, it's not because he's playing chicken. There's 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 some there's some witchery afoot. But anyways, what winds up happening when they go into the warp? So this is where we go roundabout and come come you know full circle. He notices an odor. And he starts choking and he's realizes that the reason he's choking is because the bridge is now full of the atmosphere from the high peaks of Barbarus and everyone is choking and all the humans are dying. 
And well, not just us, the humans. The Astartes aren't doing particularly well themselves, are they? Yeah, and anything that lays out their Primarch is also going to lay them out, but at least they're not instantly dead. Um, but yeah, and that, that brings us to that flashback. That brings us to that first, yep. uh, the first flashback that we covered. So is this a good place to uh, to close it out for part one? Yeah. Yeah, I think yeah, so. I think so. On um, Barbarous, uh, the Mortarion is about to meet a person who's going to change his life forever. In the present, the Death Guard, you know, Mortarion and the, at least as far as he's aware, the Bridge of the Terminus Est is now filled with the atmosphere of Barbarous and they're all choking to death. And on Terra, they are about to deliver a Null Maiden to a secret fortress. Well, I don't know about you guys, but I am very excited for part two. Yes. Yeah. Oh, man. It's, yeah, it's part two really ramps up. I will say, it, it's. I read this when it first came out, and this is the second time now I've, I've read it. And I think, like a lot of these heresy novels, it's better the second time of reading because we've got the benefit of seeing how the siege develops, the storyline a little bit more. And obviously, in Warhawk, it comes back for a fall of the Death Guard quite a lot, which we will talk about when we, when we talk about Warhawk. Um, but there's a lot to this novel, isn't there? Uh, I, and like, like we said at the start, I was surprised by the Knight Errant storyline, but I really enjoyed it. Uh, yeah, I, I agree that because it's not just for me, it wasn't just rereading this. It, it was a lot of the the a lot of the stuff that happens chronologically earlier than buried dagger was published afterward so we know more about galaspar we know and with the siege of terror we know about mortis we know about warhawk we know about uh garrow and what happens with garrow and all of those just add these layers onto this book of the story about who do you trust what is loyalty and what is choice and how with Mortarion and his legion, their story has always been about who do you trust to let you choose for yourself? Who do you know won't give you a choice, even if their intentions are good? I can't think of a better uh, place to end it than there. So this was uh, the first part of the last novel in the series. We'll be back for part two. But for now, uh, we're going to be right back for Two Cup Challenge. Welcome back to the Two Week Hobby Challenge. So you know how this works by now. Uh, we're going to talk about everything that we've been working on, any type of hobby project. Uh, it doesn't have to be GW-based. There's been some really nice things shown off uh, on Facebook recently, including the Squat Troika. Yes, we've got the Scots, the Squat Trike shown off for us. Thank you very much, Graham. Um, did you see it, JP? Yeah. Oh, I'm so excited. We very much appreciate. Very much appreciated, bud. That's what I needed to see. Uh, absolutely. I, I, I needed. I needed to see some trikes in the wild. Yeah. Yeah. And it fits into this episode as well, because <laughs> that's where we've been talking about them, isn't it? That's where we mentioned them with the bikers and so on. Yes, very good. Thank you very much for that, Graham. Um, JP, do you want to talk about what you've been up to? Yes. Okay, so I am starting to get psyched for Epic. I'm not oh, going to call I'm never going to call it. The hype is real. I'm never going to call it. The hype is real on that system, isn't it? So, yeah, uh, I actually pulled out my Titans. I I should note, I played uh, Titanicus the other day. 
for the first time since like the Sorry. pandemic. What? Yeah, I hadn't played in like two years. During the pandemic, we had a we had an outside game at one point. Um, what well, uh, during uh, the period when we weren't really, it was not recommended to be inside. Uh, but in the summer, we did a uh, an outside game uh, of Titanicus, and that was the last time. That was in the t- like twenty twenty one. Um, so uh, played a little Titanicus game. We tried to remember the rules. Uh, playing, um, I brought three warhounds and. A uh, buddy of mine uh, pretty much took the equivalent uh, uh, amount of points, which was a Reaver, two uh, Night Lancers, and three Night Questoruses. Um, we just played a quick and dirty scenario because we didn't have a lot of time. Um, pretty much, he had an afternoon uh, free before uh, before his kids got home from school, so we had to make it. We had to make it fast. So the scenario was um, essentially we started within eighteen inches of each other, uh, and uh, then um, the. Uh, my my objective was to destroy the Reaver, and his objective was to destroy two of the three Warhounds. Whoever achieved their objective first wins the game. And we, it was like three turns because right, we didn't have a lot of time. Um, we had like an hour and a half before his kids got home from school, and we didn't remember the rules very well. And let's be honest, in Titanicus, turn one is all about maneuver. Turn two is destroying void shields. Turn three is generally when everything explodes. Horribly die. Yeah. yeah so we gave ourselves three turns uh, to do that. Um, after three turns, I had lost one Warhound and, um, done, <laughs> I just had my Warhounds, they're so, they're so fast, I love Warhounds so much, I just kept running up to the back, I had, uh, destroyed the, uh, my first target was to get rid of the Lancers, because the Lancers are just brutal, especially since we were yes. starting off really, really, uh, close, so, I, I destroyed one, uh, Lancer, um, on the first turn, uh, with first fire, so that was kind of lucky, uh, the second one managed to, uh, uh, to pretty much body one of my uh, one of my uh, warhounds, uh, I think, I think he he he. I think the one lancer got almost to crit, so that like caused like five damage to the body of one of my warhounds. Yeah, also they will to, do that. Yeah, so I shredded it with mega bolters after that, uh, and then I just I just kept running behind the reaver, and and and, and just because uh, I had two warhounds with uh, double uh, mega bolters, my stripper ones. And uh, one with a plasma and a turbo. Um, and the, the one with the plasma and the turbo was obviously my opponent's first target, so it was crippled the whole game. It was like crippled in the first turn. <laughs> so I had to destroy the Reaver using uh, uh, mega bolters. So I just had to run behind it and just sort of like shred the sh- shred the damn thing uh, nice. from behind to get the bonuses, so that it would actually do something against a Reaver. Uh, so turn three. Uh, rolls around. Reaver's still alive. Two of my warhounds are still alive. One of them's uh, one of them was destroyed. One of the two warhounds completely crippled. Um, and it's like, okay, well, well, kids are getting home soon. We we could probably get another turn, and let's try to actually have a winner because it was a, a draw after after uh, turn three. So we did a fourth turn, and in that turn, uh, I managed to destroy the the Reaver by again mega boltering it so many times in the ass. Uh, and yep. uh, he destroyed uh, one of the two warhounds, not the crippled one. Not the crippled turbo uh, uh, plasma one. Interesting. Well, I hit it. I hit it because it it, yeah. it had it had two crits on it on its body. It was dead. No weapons. It, 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 uh, its weapons were disabled. It had uh, two crits on the body. So like two more uh, bodies at plus three, and it was dead. So it was smoke billowing out reactor. Yeah. So I, I hit it behind a building. Tech priests running around. <laughs> so that. Uh, so yeah. Uh, uh, Reaver went up. Last Warhound went down to Questorus Nightfire because uh, it was all, all also very uh, damaged, and we were just like, 
we were like no voids everything had full voids and it didn't matter because that's how close we were and uh so we both achieved our objective in turn four at the same time pretty much uh so yeah we still wound up with a with a draw it's a good game though i I, I remember when i played uh titanicus for the first time in ages earlier this year and you forget what a good game it's so much fun it's so much fun um and, and and so I, I'm not going. I'm going all in with legions, but you know, like Titanicus will still be my favorite game. I think this, I'd be surprised this, this if I could, changed my mind on that. Absolutely, uh, legions has got a lot to live up to after playing AT, hasn't it? Let's let's. let's but it'll be a completely different game. It, 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 it won't is going to be a completely kind of game. different game. Absolutely, it, it's a it's not a simulation. That that's a key thing. Titanicus is a simulation. Um, whereas Legions is very much a overview game, isn't it? It's it's the um, oh, I'm trying to think of the word I want to use to describe it. An impression game, isn't it? You get the big sweeping maneuvers with it. The, the I have to say, the Titans article for Legions looks looks interesting. Titans are looking dangerous, which they should be. Yeah, they're looking dangerous, but they're not going to have. It's not going to be the same type of thing. It's not going to have the terminals. You won't have to watch your plasma. No. A lot of the fun, like simulation bits, uh, you know, it's like a naval war game, Titanicus. You have to look yeah. at it like that. Yeah, and let's face it: one formation of shadow swords is going to just nuke your titan. Yeah, <laughs> well, as it should, as it should do, as it should do. So hold down shadow swords mm. in a ruin, first fire into your titan. There you go. I would Jump really down. like to see them port over the super heavies uh, super heavy tanks into titanicus and just use them as knights yeah right formation of shadow swords to do with that i think there's something to do that but also some of the weapons we don't see very often in titanicus like inferno guns or inferno cannons they're going to be quite nasty in legions oh yeah that's that's a nice infantry formation shame is a flame template landed on it and for all of those like us that magnetized everything already we're ready to go. There we go. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've already got a third of my Titans. My Legion's army already done. I just here you go. Here's some Titans. Here's some Night Household. Job done. We've already also got Aeronautica, haven't we? So you know, there's my flying formation. Yeah, I, I already got like most of an infantry. army. My five Titans yeah. that are fully painted. Um, Absolutely. Are, are ready to go. Here we go. I just and need my infantry and my Lehman Russ and my exactly. Malcadors. But coming back on the, the the hobby question, though, yes. uh, which is what led me uh, to uh, uh, to talk about the game, is I actually uh, pulled out my Titans, and I realized I never finished the bases on my Warlords. I completely forgot about this. The, the bases on my... You know, the trench bases I was working on, uh, for the Warhounds, they were completely done, but I never actually finished the Warlords. So when I pulled everything out, I was like, oh, yeah. So I've been working on the bases, trying to finish them off. Um, mm. Hopefully get that done soon, uh, definitely by the time that Legions drops. And I can just concentrate on painting like a hundred Lehman Russes. Because that's yeah. going to be my army. It's just going to be some Titans, some air support, and some Thunderbolts, and just all the Lehman Russes. Yes. Will I win a lot so of games? Win. No. Was I going to win a lot of games anyway? Also, no. No. You're basically going for a Battle of Kursk with Titans on you. That's what you're basically going for. It's called the Battle of Talarn. It already exists. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. Uh, what about yourself? What have you been working on? I'm sure it's more impressive um, than working on two bases. 
Yeah, I mean, well, we've just been finishing off the summer holidays. So uh, obviously by the time this goes out, I'll be back in the, uh, the, the um, purgatory. That is the normal working term. Um, so I've been finishing bits off. So I've been working really on some side projects, something something because I want to do things different. Um, I got a little bit burnt out on a couple of things. I wanted to do something completely different and off my usual um, format. So I've been doing some kill team. So I've been working on an Imperial Navy breacher kill team. Um, part is a tester for a solar ox colour scheme. So I've been doing them as kind of a very combination of uh, deep red armour and kind of a grey-green fatigue. So I think that's where I'm going for, for my solar ox cohort. Um, I've been working on some warhounds, once again, preparing for legions and expanding the mana pool. So I've gone for slightly different weapon loadouts. I've gone for Volkite, because I love Volkite. And I've given one of them the um, Graviton gun, the Graviton cannon, because I've needed some armour piercing amongst my warhounds. So I've gone for that. And I've been working on my board and actions terrain. I finally managed to do all the Lovely. Uh, spraying and base spraying on that. So I've got a whole set of board and action terrain now to fill on all the details. Because... I've really enjoyed that game mode and it, that terrain can be used in Necromunda that we, we've been playing a lot of recently. Um, you can use it in Zone Mortalis or you can use it in 40k. So it's multi-purpose terrain. So there we go. So bits and pieces more than anything is what I've been working on. So just little, little projects as a bit of a break. But if I'm honest, if I'm honest, they're all kind of keeping pace on things ready for Legionless to drop. Because as soon as Legion's yeah. drops, that's going to be my my main focus. Excellent. Yeah, yeah I think we're all on yeah. the same page uh, on, on Legions. Yeah. And, and for those that say it's like, ah, you're supposed to be a 30K podcast, and all you talk about is Titanicus and, and, and Horse Heresy Legions. It's like, yeah, those yeah, are 30K games. Heresy yeah, is a heresy. setting, not a 28 millimeter war game. There we go. Oh, so we talk about that too. Yeah. Yeah, we do. I mean, militia. <laughs> Come yeah, on. I mean, we've been doing that a lot lately. That's all we have. That's we, we have to be talking about that because we are building up. Because as soon as Legions drops, that's going to be a primary focus for a few months, isn't it? And we will be doing a long series uh, about how to play Legions, and we have a a special guest lined up to tell us how the game works and break it and break it. People will guess who that is, I think. Okay, uh, to end the show, uh, I will be... There's some new Stuka drop, so we're going to play some Stuka. Oh, is this a song I called Virus Bomb? I, I may have picked it up. <laughs> well, I think you have to. What a, what a delightful discovery. Cheers to Ben, as usual. What a delightful discovery Stuka has been in the last year. Yeah. So and, this... and how appropriate was having David on this episode as well. Exactly. So Virus Bomb by Stuka is how we'll be finishing the show. What are we doing in the next episode? We will be finishing, yes, finally finishing the militia by talking about the heavy support, the, the grand desire of the, the joy of Lehman Russ and Malkador's and artillery placements. Yes, we're bringing out the big guns and rounding off the militia list and concluding our section on that. And in Tales of Heresy? Continuing is very very dagger. Yeah, I got it now. So I don't say him dagger anymore. I haven't said it once. I don't think you haven't. 
that's it. I think I got I it. I think I finally, re- I finally have drilled it into my brain what the name of the damn book is. Very dead. And we can continue. We can continue our theme of resurrecting dead actors to represent characters in the book. Well, yeah. Why would we do anything else? Yeah, especially with that one. Beauty. Okay, so that was episode one thirty-seven, and as usual, thank you all for listening. <laughs>